following podcast is a production of Dirty Mo Media. Welcome back again for another episode of the Dale Jr. Download, episode 363. Ooh, well, 363. That kind of rolls right off the tongue. Um, we're live yeah, from the Bojangles studio here. I'm Dale Hart Jr., Mike Davis, my co-host. Our guest today for the podcast is Shauna Robinson. All right, Shauna's going to be amazing. She raced in uh, a lot of different series, to be honest with you, and I raced against her a little bit. It's going to be great to hear about her story and what she's up to now. Yeah, be fantastic. All right. She had some uh, some difficulties and challenges in her life, and we're going to hear all about that. Matthew, Leah, they're here as well for uh, for, for a great show. We're going to have Ash Jr. coming up later, presented by Xfinity. And um, let's get into it, man. Open segment. So, Daniel Ricardo gets to drive Dad's uh, 1984, the what they used to call the Blue Goose, I think. RCR race car. It's owned by Zach Brown, who is with McLaren, and um, he set it all up for for. Uh, he kind of made a bet with Daniel earlier in the year that when I guess when Daniel got his first podium, uh, that he would get to drive this car. And Daniel's a big Dylan Hart fan. He's uh, had the number three for a long time, and he's had this. You know, he's he's had number three, even the same font, number three on his helmet. And um, he's came uh, to Cup races. We exchanged helmets. He told me all about. Uh, how big a fan of my father's he was, and uh, anyhow, he uh, he gets to drive the car this past weekend at the uh, U.S. Grand Prix. I was so happy for him; he was genuinely happy and excited about it. And uh, it was all over social media. The one thing I kept, uh, the one thing I just couldn't help think about was what Dad's reaction would be. Mm. And it's uh, it's not it's not uh, difficult to understand that he would have been very humbled by the idea of an F1 driver uh, being a fan of his, appreciating his career, appreciating his talent, appreciating his, you know, intimidator, you know, personality and all those things. And um, also I think he would have been humbled and very proud of the attention that Daniel brought to him and the attention that came from all of that because this content was on F1's, like F1's own personal handles. So the entire series sort of embraced what Daniel was doing. Uh, and for a mere moment, you know, Dad was being celebrated, if you will, and uh, by a very big entity, right? Uh, you know, the F1 being so global, such a big, huge uh, motorsports industry. And, you know, and, and you know, we're very proud of NASCAR, very proud of what we are in NASCAR and what NASCAR means to us. But, you know, that's – it just – it's comparable for me to learning about how big dad's scope was when he passed away. The day that, he, you know, when he passed away, there were news outlets and personalities and, and people talking about him that had never, you know, talked about him before. And there were people coming out mentioning how impactful he was in the sport or how they might have been fans and so forth that, that I never thought I would hear talk about my dad it was just really crazy you know and it really you know we think we know i thought i knew how you know big a deal dad was uh but i underestimated it anyways of all the bad things we were going through and all the sadness we were going through through that time that was a that was a thing that made me feel good oh yeah and so 
This also does the same exact thing. All these years later, you have this F1 driver, one of the most personable guys in the, in the F1 industry, one of the most, uh, you know, he's, he's the kind of driver and the kind of person that everybody wants to hang out with. Just seems like he has a good time everywhere he goes. Just a respectable guy. And, um, you know, celebrated that. I just thought, you know, I don't want to overstate it, but uh, it was a cool moment if you're an Earnhardt fan or a relative of the man, uh, you know, that has to make you feel pretty awesome for, for someone on, on that stage to, to do that. So got to give Daniel a lot of credit for that, a lot of, a lot of props for that, and also to, the, to, to F1 themselves for not ignoring it, I guess, and celebrating it as well. Yeah. I, you know, you just never know how there's some underlying competition – amongst F1, NASCAR, and all the things. And sure. even even in the fan base, uh, there's one's better than the other kind of thing. Um, there's certainly the crowd that you know, enjoys them both. But, um, man, F1, for F1 to, to promote that, I, you know, it, was, it was pretty cool to see. So I thank them as well. So for the Earnhardt family, it was a pretty cool, pretty cool moment that was, came out of nowhere. Didn't expect anything like that. Well, could I just add one more thing? Is that the the magnitude of the gesture was felt by me at least on how anticipatory this thing was? Because when I don't know the exact date or the location where where Daniel got his podium, but I remember as soon as that happened, I started getting texts and you guys started getting notifications and they're like, "Hey, this this car thing now is going to happen." And I remember going. Well, I don't know what they're quite talking about, right? And then you find out about the bet. You find out about this stuff. This had to be at least a month ago, right? And so people have been building up to this. And this has been kind of a news item over the last month. And, wow, what a way for this thing to really manifest in front of an audience, I might add, that was huge in Austin at the Circuit of the Americas. Huge audience. And the look on his face. This is the most personal guy out there. I mean, you're learning so much about Daniel Ricciardo. Boy, what a fun guy that guy looks like, right? I mean, you want to hang out with him. And so, yeah, I dude, I, I thought it was amazing, right? And I bet you, you I, I could imagine how proud you were of it. Very proud. Yeah. So, you know, when you, we, you know, I've always uh, felt like the uh, F1 drivers were on another level. And the effort it takes and the determination it takes to get to that series and win is unlike anything that, most race car drivers experience and uh, the, the personal dedication they have to their craft, their health and all the things, you know, they have to be perfect. And I have a lot of respect for that. And I think, you know, Michael Schumacher, when he was racing, even today, to me, he is the top of the mountain and, and he, he's not an NASCAR driver, but that to me is the top of the mountain in terms of talent, dedication, focus, hmm. uh, and devotion to to what you're doing and driving race cars and being great at it. And so I still hold that same – I still feel like, you know, the F1 series and the drivers in that series hold that same standard. And so when, when they share with us who their heroes were, it will make anybody they mention feel great, right? And this so happens to be Daniel's hero, and that's, you know, that's my dad. And I, I would have never – uh, a guest in, in, in all these years that an F1 driver, you know, getting to that level would turn around and say, yeah, my hero was Dale Earnhardt. It, it's just really, it's really cool that, those, that any of those guys would ever consider, even just a NASCAR driver, much less my dad, 
is one of their heroes. So, again, man, just can't can't thank Daniel enough for shining a light on Dad for for a moment and uh, and he in such a great genuine way. Yeah. So um and and good job by everyone at F1 for uh, for supporting what Daniel was out there doing and how how much fun he had. Man, it's awesome to have Chevy on board with us, and as many of you probably know, I've owned a few Silverados in my time. I own two now. That's right. Got Uh, you a new one. Yeah, I got a 2002, and then I have a, uh, or it's an 04, and then I have a brand new Silverado. Just sold my 17. I know, I can't believe it. Had a red one, bought a white one. I always wanted uh, red trucks. I said, you know what? I'm gonna try something unique, and you so I bought, yeah, I bought a white truck, and now I'm just gonna decal it however the heck I want. That's pretty. That's a good idea. It's pretty fun. I've yet to get the bill on the wrap, <laughs> so maybe it's not so much fun. But, um, you know, it's like thinking, man, you know, if I get tired of this cool little design that I put on my recent brand new Silverado purchase. Uh, maybe after a couple of years, I can change the design. But if it's, uh, I don't know, what wraps go for these days? Well, if it's per color, if it's a dollar figure per color, you're getting a big bill because okay. you got a lot of colors yeah. on it. All right. Well, <laughs> and you know, I've with Chevrolet and my connections, they could probably loan me one to drive a little while, but I can't decal the loaner. No, no, no. no. That would be can't bad. Can't decal form. the loaner. Bad can't, form. Yeah, can't put a super cool stereo in that. No. And then have them take it back a year later. Yeah. Right or whenever. No, they don't want to. They don't want your personalized. Yeah, I bought it. Yep, I bought it so I can do anything with it. And uh, probably going to hang on to this new truck for a few years and have some fun uh, with the uh, with the with the wraps. But yeah. anyways, I was blown away. This all new ZR2. It really does take it to the next level with a chassis and suspension calibrated specifically for off-road performance. 33-inch off-road tires, steel front and rear bumpers for added durability. And there's clearance too, man. So plus much more off-road functionality. The first ever Silverado ZR2 will take strength and capability to new heights. Be sure to visit Chevy.com to learn more. We got a big announcement to make. Let's, let's move on to uh, to the next thing. The worst kept secret in in uh, in <laughs> in the uh, Bojangles studio. I'll be honest with you. I mean. I think we've announced this, but I'm going to announce it again. Well, all right, let's do it officially. Right. Maybe we unofficially announce it. This is the official it. announcement. Yeah. So for my Xfinity race next year for Unilever, I'm going to run at Martinsville, the very first Martinsville race. I think it's in April. I'm not even sure. When is the date? <laughs> let's look at the messaging this, here. It's unofficially this in April. Unofficially That'll be our in second April. phase of the announcement. I don't see a It'll date on here. officially but, uh, unofficial. It sounds right. Anyways, you know, I, I've wanted to – I love short tracks. People ask me – all the time. What was your favorite track? Oh man, I thought you you know I thought you'd say Talladega. Mm. I either say you know Martinsville or Bristol, given the kind of car I have. You know, to, you know, Martinsville yeah. is a is a blast, but also Bristol is equally as fun depending on how the car is driving. I had some tough days at Martinsville where the car wasn't exactly there, but when it gets down to it, what type of racing do I love to do? It's short track racing. It's bumper to bumper, half mile, trading paint. Uh, and I'm going to get do a little bit of that next year. Uh, do you, did you get the date, Matthew? Yeah, it's uh, April 7th through 9th is the uh, big Xfinity Series weekend Okay, and, uh, uh, for Martinsville. Isn't there a cup race? Yes. Okay. So the... I'm sorry, the way you mentioned it was it sounded like it was a big well, Xfinity Series Yeah, there'll be Saturday. Show. 
Okay. So, so the cup cup guys are running Sunday. Xfinity is on Saturday. And, Xfinity uh, will be April eighth. Okay, will April, be the specific April date to see Dale. Well, see the Xfinity stars. It feels weird. Anyways, <laughs> come. You know, Martinsville. If you're going to buy a ticket, get one for both days. The races at Martinsville are a blast. They're, if if I'm a ticket buyer, I'm going to get me a ticket, and I only buy one for the year. Martinsville would be in that top three. Oh yeah. Um, you know, you're you can see the whole racetrack. There's going to be drama. There's going to be every lap. There's beating and banging that the, the cameras just cannot even cover. You miss a lot of it when you're watching it at home on TV. You miss seventy five percent of the contact that's happening out on the track. And uh, we just can't show everything because there's a lot of times multiple things happen at once. Anyways, it's a great weekend. They got great camping there. Uh, you can park your camper up on top of the back straightaway now, right right next to the you know racetrack and look out over the racetrack. When I went to test there, the last time we had a test at Martinsville, I took my airstream and I parked my airstream on the top over the back straightaway next to the, you know. So when I would when I was sitting in my dinette. I've got like this, <laughs> yeah, I've sold this airstream since then, but it's like a 21 foot tiny airstream. And I was sitting my dinette in the evening as the sun was setting. We were the only one or two cars there testing. So I'm looking down in the track and there's nothing. A couple haulers, cars co- cars covered up in the garage, not a soul there. And the sun setting over the racetrack. It was so cool while I was eating my pork and beans. Hey, you remember the vivid yeah. details of that day? I the do. Pork man. and beans, or I did a little. I had a little. Was it times rough? I think it was. No, that was my side. Okay, oh. <laughs> got it. Yeah, so I did a little grill of some chicken or something like that, right? I got you. Yeah, yeah but yeah. you know, I'm a minimalist. You are. Yeah, I believe that. Yeah. I believe it. So that's um, accurate. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't take much to make me happy. Hey, I've got a recommended advertising campaign for you on this. I it just hit oh. me. Okay, hey. you ready? It goes something like this. If you thought I ran into a lot of people at Richmond, <laughs> wait until you see what I do at Martinsville. Yeah. How about that? Yeah. Pretty good? I like it. I was told by some of the Xfinity drivers that they're all going to try to run into me because they want to get on the show. Hey, Matt. Yeah. Oh, to get on the show. Yeah, because they they're like, is that all it takes to get right. on the Dale Jr. download? Because I'll just run into you at Martinsville. <laughs> the remorseful Dale Jr. That's see, what, I don't know. That's what Jeremy Clements said. Is that right? He's like, man, I need a boost to my, my career at this <laughs> he moment. He wants to be on so bad. He's like, I'm going to run into you next race you run. That's you not know. the way it works. You have to be run into. You can't be the runner. Yeah. you got to be the runny. Exactly. Okay. You know, because you gotta you got to untap the remorseful – the, the sorry Dale Jr., not the pissed-off Dale Jr. He don't let people yeah, come in if he's pissed off. off at you. Yeah. yeah. So well, make yourself available to be run into. You'll get to come be on the, the victim, download. Jeremy. I'm excited about be it. Be the man. victim. Looking forward to it. That, I, I am, too. That's going to be cool. Yep. And Unilever's been a great partner. Mike, the campaign for, for this race, the marketing, the sponsorship strategy, and all those things rolled into one, it's kind of called a campaign, is around uh, food waste. So one of the things that Hellman's – really been focused on is reducing food waste. Something like 40% of all foods in the U.S. end up in a landfill. 40%. Goodness. That's a lot, man. It is a lot. Uh, Hellman's has developed a campaign called Fridge Hunters, all right? And it's to encourage people to take food that they might otherwise throw away so that others can make something tasty out of it. They want people to post their meals with the hashtag Fridge Hunters. Fridge Hunters. Hashtag Fridge Hunters. Got it. They want to try to save... A million meals from the landfill. That'd be awesome. Yeah. What a great idea. All right. It's a fantastic campaign. Hashtag fridge hunters. All right. 
So, um, yeah, I can't. I mean, I, I need to know more about that. That's pretty incredible. Forty percent of all foods. Oh yeah, roughly forty wow. percent of all foods end up in a landfill. Forty. Think about that. Right, it's a lot. You could you could really combat uh, world hunger in a big way just by yep. you know, reducing the wastefulness that we have. All right, that's a great campaign. I like it. Let Tend Dental make your dream smile a reality. We offer a variety of top-rated treatments, including Invisalign aligners. And for a limited time, Tend is offering $750 off orthodontic treatments. Offer valid through January 31st, so don't wait. Visit hellotend.com slash sale. That's hellotend.com slash sale. And book your free consult today. Guys, Shauna is here. Do y'all want to let her in? Let's do it. All right. Are driven by 29 big, tough, very competitive men and one young, heroic girl. Did you know the girl, the girl was coming charging behind you? <laughs> I was looking at car numbers. This could be the only other driver in NASCAR racing with a ponytail and an earring just like me. Here you are on the pole at Atlanta, possibly the biggest race of your career. One woman has raced in the Daytona 500. It was Janet Guthrie the last time she did it, 1980. Shauna Robinson, you're close on speed. Can you race your way into the Daytona 500? Oh, man, there she is. Awesome. I'm so glad to be here. Okay, so what do I do here? Just put get that my head, headphones yeah, on. Put that and, headphones on and, and we'll... Yeah, I, I bombarded Matt with, like, tons of pictures. I Good. didn't know if you could use them or yes. not. Loved it. Yes, that'll be very helpful. Even silly ones. I know. That like a lot me of... with big plastic ears on when I was bald. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. All kinds. We yeah. love silly. Silly's good. Silly is good. It gets you through it. A lot of work goes into trying to dig into those pictures and find them for the TV version of the show, so that'll be extremely helpful to those guys trying to put that together. So a lot good. of our guests don't do all that work for us. But Well, I'm excited to be here. I've watched your podcast and yeah. your, the table and all the discussions. Did, and Does it look like uh, what you thought yeah, it would? Yeah, it does. I just didn't know it was here. I thought it was a Shinville. Somewhere else. Okay, yeah. back home. Yeah. So, Shauna, I've always been fascinated by you. So you started racing Xfinity Series when I was a little boy and going to the uh, yeah. one of the racetracks. I was a teenager, but uh, it, it was a female race car driver. It was incredible. I was seeing, you know, you, I had heard about females in and out of our sport over, mm-hmm. over the years, in the 50 years, you know, we'd been a sport. But here I was watching one. Eventually, I got to race against you, right? <laughs> yeah. And we got, to, we got to duke it out a little bit yeah. out on the racetrack. But I, and yeah. reading your notes, learned or was reminded by where you got your start. Yeah. And I think that's incredible. Uh, and I want to learn about that. I don't know anything about that today. So I want to understand, you know, first off, how racing became a part of your life. I know your dad was a racer. Yes. So when you were born, you know, and you're old, you're three, four, five, six years old or whatever and starting to pay attention and rem- have, you know, the memories that you still have of your childhood, is race cars around? What kind of race Absolutely. cars are we talking about? Uh, we were talking about late model stock cars ran at the Iowa State Fairgrounds. They ran in Boone, all over the Midwest. I'm born in Iowa. Just dirt tracks? Yeah, dirt and then my dad ran USAC okay. in later times, so oh, okay. Pocono. But, I mean, I grew up as a little girl that was in the infield every weekend with, you know, the mom and the cousins and the aunts and uncles. And 
later on, my dad started promoting at the Iowa State Fairgrounds and got into the whole promoting thing. And my brother still raised stock cars. And How old was he? Um, he was, well, I, I'm the youngest. Okay. So he was 10 years older than me. Oh, that's a lot. Yeah. yeah. So he was 10 years older than me. And then I have an older sister that was 15 years older than me. And then I have two that are right. The three of us are right together. Oh, okay. But we all grew up like there was the race car in the garage and, you know, they'd be changing the motor and doing this. And of course at 10 o'clock at night, they would be like, just got the motor and we've got to try it out. So they're going up and down the street. My mom would be like, you guys are going to get us in trouble. Do you, did y'all but, have neighbors? Um, yeah, we weren't like way out in the country, but it so. was pretty not at that time. Later on, the d- developments came yeah, left so and right, but it you was could kind of get away with it. Oh yeah. Okay. They, they knew who he was. Lefty. He's <laughs> like, he would always kind of figure out how to do things a little bit different or maybe not always follow the rules, but just, but we grew up with snowmobiles when we were little. I had one of those little kitty cats when I was like three or four years mm-hmm. old, a, a Honda 50, my sister had SL70. It's just, that's what we did. We were just like that. And my dad was, his other business was selling trucks, truck wholesale. Mm-hmm. And he would always go like to go pick a truck up that he had bought. And we were 13, 14 years old. And big he'd trucks. be like, yeah, big semi trucks, okay. but no trailer, mm-hmm. just the tandem single axle. And he would be, I think I was 13, Stephanie was 14 or 15, Stacy was 16. And he'd be like, okay, which one of you is going to go? Because I need to go pick this truck up. So we'd jump in there, one of us, ride with him, and then we would drive back the truck that he drove in. And so I knew how to shift it, you know, 10 gears when I was, before I was 15 years old. Really? So, and then when it came time to get my license, I actually drove to the DMV (laughs) in my first car and... (laughs) Got my license. I'm like, well, I know how to drive. So then when I lost my license from too many speeding tickets, I still drove. Because I'm like, well, you don't forget how. My dad was like, oh, it's all right. You'll be fine. My mom was like, okay, come on, seriously. Yeah. But uh, that's a funny story because I got hired by an oil company to race trucks in the Northeast. And my license happened to be – this didn't happen all the time. I wasn't a bad <laughs> kid. But – my license had been suspended in Iowa, and then I moved to Pennsylvania, and the people that hired me dried in oil, which I see now are kind of getting back in the sport. But the, the guy that was my boss is like, so is there anything you need to, like, fill us in on? Or I'm like, well, I mean, uh, no. I mean, you guys pretty much checked me all out. And, what about your driver's license? And I'm like, oh, well, it's in Iowa. And at that time, you could get another license in another state and get away with it. So he was like, okay, we just hired you to be a race car driver, so I'm not going to penalize you too much for the fact that you had a speeding (laughs) ticket for 86 and a 55. So it wasn't that big of a deal, and they kind of let it go, and it came right back after that. 86 and a 55. Yeah. Well, now that's nothing. Yeah. Are you sure? (laughs) Well, still still about to say. say, Feels a little fast. I don't know. (laughs) So, yeah, I grew – just the whole growing up, my brother raced, and then my brother – when my dad's promoted – then he decided that he needed to bring in a different kind of crowd. And at the time, Smokey and the Bandit was going on, and they had created this truck series. It was called Gator, Great American Truck Racing. And we won at that level, but my dad's like, well, I'm going to bring the trucks to the Iowa Speedway, which was a half-mile dirt. And so he did the stock car race, and then he did like a 
heat race and a feature with like 10 to 12 trucks because yeah. he thought it would bring in a you know the truck drivers those kind of people of the different kind of thing and then because he wanted to add more to it he decided well no one's ever jumped a semi truck before they they did the monster trucks and all that but so they my brother they did this peterbilt and did eight cars figured out the by doing laps they figured out the speed they need he needed to get up to and he jumped ramp to ground at the finale of the race night. Okay. So then they gutted a motorhome and decided, well, let's do this. No one's ever done this before. So then he he jumped. This was in Florida, I think. He jumped the truck through the front windshield of the motorhome. They gutted it. Yeah. So it just kind of went, you know, the crowd loved that kind of yeah. stuff. So he was kind of like a circus of the circus leader, and that's kind of how it happened. So your dad was the promoter in – of all these races, mm -hmm. and then he started the truck series. Then he started the truck series, and I was 18. Had uh, you drove anything competitively at that point? No, right. I hadn't. No, I grew up around it, and I probably, well, you know, we used to pack the track all the time at the fairgrounds, so it's like you'd totally be sideways, and it was just kind of a thing that I had adapted to. So I was 18, getting ready to graduate high school, hadn't made, like, complete idea of what I was going to do, take – Basically, so my dad's like, why don't you take the summer and travel with me, and I'll teach you media, give you a budget. You can go buy radio, TV spots, because we would travel now to different tracks all around. Some would be half-mile dirt. Some would be quarter-mile asphalt. So it was all different. Well, our first race was Toledo Speedway. And so I went, and I just jumped on the in a truck, and they were unloading from the flatbeds, because my dad would bring, like, seven or eight, and then you'd have local drivers go into some of them, my brother and other drivers that were with us, and then other trucks would come in to compete. And I just, like, backed it up and just went ahead and pulled it into the racetrack. It was Toledo Speedway asphalt. And I'm just zipping around. And now, this is an old international. I think it was a 76 international. Yeah. So there was no power steering. There was this, at this point, was not modified. Just had the, the single axle on the back. And I'm zipping around there. Well, my dad knew me, and he's like, oh, you – he was watching. And he was kind of like how I was on the throttle, off the throttle, on the throttle. And he's like, oh, if you got out there with other trucks, it'd scare you to death. Well, he knew if he dared me to you, do something. Uh -uh. So I raced that night, and, and this was this was in 83. So raced that night. I finished third in my heat race and I think third in my feature. And he had a videotape of it. And so that's how he told my mom. So hmm. we had a, the, you know, the beta tapes. Yeah. He would, uh, he put one in. He's like, I want you to watch this truck right here. What do you think? When y'all got home. <laughs> yeah. And he's watching and, it, not knowing you're in it. Yeah. She, she is. is. I'm sorry. Yeah, she yeah. is. So she's like, well, I don't know. He seems to be doing pretty good. And he's <laughs> like, well, that's your daughter. And she's like, what? And then her rule was don't ever let her drive a sprint car. Cause she grew up with the no wing sprint cars yeah. and Don Lamberti with Casey's general stores, very good friend of my dad's. And he, you know, did a lot of sprint car stuff and went Knoxville, of course. And so that was the one thing is my mom's like, don't let her she in a sprint car, but she could, well, and I used to, horses were kind of my first love. So it's like, I kind of went from horses to more horsepower and it just became a, the first year was just a fun traveling, learning the business. Uh, so I, at that point, I made like a little media kit, and so I would go purchase 30-second spots and have like a budget to do that with the, I'd get into a city and look at the two newspapers, 
three television stations and a couple radio stations, and I would go to, to sell the, the time, purchase TV time, commercial time, and then I would ask for the sports director, and I would go back later and say, well, hey, this might be interesting, but I'm a driver, and you know, pretty much all the time. They're like, oh, that's kind of cool. So they do like little interviews, promotions, and did that for like a year. And then yeah. I got a better truck. So then I went into the Great American Truck Racing, which Atlanta was my first race. All right. So, all right. So um, your dad's truck series is racing short tracks, and he, he's bringing most of the trucks to the racetrack. Yes. It's kind of similar, I guess, to what maybe Robbie Gordon's doing with the truck series that he has those stadium trucks where he builds them, brings them in, yeah. they get a bunch of guys to drive them and have a blast. Yeah, pretty similar. similar. And then you would have local people Talent. come and enter, their, enter their, trucks. their trucks. But again, they were right off the street, so they weren't... They weren't race trucks. They weren't race trucks. there had been they, racing truck series like in Atlanta. I've yeah, seen all that stuff. that's what I went into. So you went into that next. So before yes. we get there, your first truck, what did it have to do with the movie Smokey and the Bandit? Yeah. Um, the movie Smokey and the Bandit is what the Gator series came from. So when I had that old International, it was time to get a better truck. So my dad got a, a truck from a driver that was running that series that was modified, fiberglass. The, they moved the motors back. At that point, they had the, the eight wheels in the back. Okay. Now, later as the series progressed, as I was running in it, we ended up taking the, the back section off, so it was even lighter weight. But, I mean, they, were, they had twin-turbo injectors. Atlanta, they would run like 170 160 wow and they weighed yeah. a lot more so atlanta was my first speedway in the truck and and dick trickle actually loaned me his earplugs because i didn't have any really? which is kind of disgusting now when i think <laughs> about it but at the same time i'm like well i needed some yeah <laughs> some earplugs so it was kind of like moving up to that next level i raced the my dad's series from 83 to 85 and then i uh got into the well i got into the gator in 84 and then i moved to Philadelphia and race for Dryden um, in the Gator Series. Okay. And Rookie of the Year and winning. and You moved to Philadelphia? Yes. How was that? Oh, okay. Had no no car, like because I flew there, and they were going to provide me with a company car, and I, was, I had to go to oil school to learn about consistency of lubricants and heavy-duty lubricants, and I had to basically do what the salespeople do. Because they were hiring me to represent their product. So I had to, like, go with this. First time I got there and from Iowa, I mean, I'd traveled, but Philadelphia, it was like there were cars on the side of the road with no wheels on them. And <laughs> and just it was totally different. I had yeah. to, I didn't have a house. We got an apartment. They gave me a company car. And then I lived there two years. And at the end of that two years, I had been, like, I was an experienced cheesesteak orderer. I was like, <laughs> knew what to do. But it was definitely different to just go there and just, you know, start a job. I would travel uh, the Gator Series, which we ran like Middletown, New York, Lebanon Valley, Syracuse. So it was the experience that my dad gave me from running, you know, basically not great equipment but running one weekend on a dirt track and then one weekend on asphalt you had to basically go there practice and you race that night so there's never like i never did that run for a championship every week at say hickory speedway yeah. so it was totally different but i feel like 
when I transferred to NASCAR in the Dash Series, I was going from an incredibly heavy weight that went fast to a little lightweight car. And it was like, is this as fast as these things go? But <laughs> then you got you had to learn to draft and, you know, yeah. a lot to learn from that point. But I think the trucks made me the feel the seat of the pants because as the trucks were modified, they were race trucks. Yeah. They, they weren't like just a big truck you jump in. Sure. They were literally race trucks. How much would they weigh? Let's see. I thought I went from eight to eight to twelve thousand pounds. As they got more modified, they were more around sixty-five to seven. Got it. Okay. As we and you would use the tire groover. You know your tires were this big. Yeah. <laughs> but you would you know heat that up and and for the dirt tracks you would get to carve your tires. How does out. a semi truck drive around a dirt track? How does that? Oh well. I'll tell you, Flemington was my favorite track when it was dirt. It's gone now, which I hate, but Flemington was kind of a flatter, uh, wide dirt track. And at this point, I had one of my best trucks, which was a Kidworth shell. But the engine was moved back. I had a power steering. You know, like you had a real stock car steering wheel. It wasn't like you had this. (laughs) Okay. But so it was more that you were literally in like a real race seat. And they load them to the ground. And I'm telling you, you'd be sideways in the corners. Yeah. You were, but dirt, talk about dirt, like in the smoke. So usually when the green flag dropped, it was like, you better make it to All turn one smoke. because you can't see anything until you get through that. Yeah. Hey, okay. I probably know the answer to this, but we're talking big rig trucks. Was there ever other females out there at all racing these things? No, not in the truck series. Right. Did with others, but there were, were never the far- any. So you were the first? Yeah. Okay. Now, there were females doing the monster trucks and all that because somebody had approached us to do, for me to go into that arena, and my dad was like, so let's just stay focused where we are. Yeah. So, so was that a benefit or a curse to you? Like, I, I, like, um, with, okay. with the, yeah. <laughs> there, I was, you know, started at 18, 19. When I went to the Gator Series, I was 19, 20. And there were some big badass guys that did this. I mean, they were like truckers in the industry, but then they were also racers that were cool. So there were the ones that liked me and the ones that didn't. And I think that taught me it doesn't matter who does or who doesn't. You kind of learn who your friends are but and who you want to trust for a question, and you know who you don't want to do that with. But I was not intimidated by by that at all. Hmm. But... That was just kind of how I learned. I didn't know anything different. I'd never raced against women. I'd only raced against these truck people. Yeah. And then uh, I had opportunities to do some modifieds and some late model cars, but not on a consistent level. And then Pat Patterson approached the Dryden Oil people. I had done three years with Gator and uh, finished third in points, rookie of the year a couple times, most popular driver. And Pat Patterson approached my... Uh, sponsor and just said you know i think we need to move her to stock cars pat patterson radio pat patterson yeah. prn yeah. pat patterson prn pat patterson that's cool so he's the one who kind of set me up with david watson racing who was a, a great equipment running mm-hmm. in the front this was after davy allison and michael waltrip had started in the dash series so that was kind of the arca of now yep. but so it was kind of like go to dash and then you could go from there either to bush or to arca yeah so I got in really good equipment. My first race was Daytona. Uh, we got the pole, but we got disqualified because they said I had a legal carburetor. So they took the carburetor away, and we had to run the second day. 
and I went faster. Was it illegal? Was no, it? not no. that I know of. Because you know we admit it here. I mean, oh no, it, I know. A, no, I'll tell space. you what. As far as <laughs> no, they. I mean, they took it off. They said it was a little smaller than it was supposed to be, but it was. They yeah. gave us the other one, and we ended up going faster. So, anyways, <laughs> Jan Smith was my engine builder, and he's like, "I promise you, we didn't rig this." So I ended up finishing third at day, my first Daytona. Wow. And that was even losing. I lost first and second gear. So on restarts, they just drive away. It yeah. just yeah. So, but still finished third. Who was who was the car owner? David Watson. Okay, out of Boone, North Carolina. All right. Um, and you know it was Dusmore, uh, Casey's General Stores, and Dusmore from Iowa, Des Moines. Don Lamberti is who kind of sponsored me from going from Dryden into NASCAR. Yeah. He was the reason why I had that opportunity. So you had raced the big rigs uh, around Atlanta and or, uh, Pocono, Rock, Pocono, Atlanta, <laughs> uh, Syracuse. So what is mild it like? Dirt. Okay, so driving down the front straightaway at Pocono in a stock car or anything really is kind of terrifying to have to slow it down and get into turn one. What's you, it like in an? <laughs> you can't. First thing, I, Toledo. When I was just messing around doing that, you can't. You you cannot stop one of those right quickly. Oh. And then we did this thing where. Uh, he set this thing to blow a tire, so you had to run down the front straight. It was an exhibition, you know, uh-huh. like the ju- trunky, jumping the truck. So it was basically you had to, you're running down the front straightaway, and then your tire would blow, and you had to control it. That was just something to show. Something to, to show what y'all yeah. could do. But, yeah, the first time at Toledo when I tried to, like, stop quick, it was like, you can't Bouncing, do it. Hopping. Yeah, just yeah. hopping all over the place. But, okay, but going back, like, at Pocono, where, where do you start breaking? Like, the flag stand? <laughs> like, that thing yeah. is so... Well, it is, but they were more modified at that point. And then yeah. at one point, Allison, uh, Detroit Diesel Allison, were doing some stuff where they wanted to try the automatic transmission. Well, it worked good at, like, a Pocono because it, it would slowly shift the gears but they were just you know trying this thing out but at uh i think it was toledo and when it was dirt i was going into turn one and that thing kicked into like first gear and it was like sideways it's like this is not good because you would when you shifted you knew what you were doing how big is toledo half mile it's a half mile okay it's dirt now it was dirt at that time got it it's asphalt now i believe got it and i raced arca there when it became asshole. But yeah, they weren't, um, but they were fast. I mean, yeah. at, to- at Pocono, you really, when you came out of the triangle turn and you were going down, you could feel the injectors like just kick in. Yeah. And it'd be like, whoa, this is crazy. Yeah. I have uh, race programs, and uh, man, there was a series way back in the late 80s called in. They walked away, and there's, there's a lot of crashes in that series. And I used to watch that as a, as a young kid. and a lot of truck and uh, big rig wrecks and stuff and that. But uh, I was always, I've never talked to anybody that ever raced those. Yeah. You know, you're the only person I've ever been able to talk to that raced those. And it was such a fascinating. It really know? was. I feel like it, it helped me to cross over. Yeah. Because most people oh. came from go-karts or little mini sprints and then go, so they're going from light to heavy where I went from heavy to light. And I felt like it was a great in- adjustment. Yeah. A good transition. Yeah, a good as, transition. Yeah. To yeah. get in a dash car, like you say, and have such little power and and tiny little car, yeah, you felt like you could. You just learned to draft because the trucks you really didn't. Well, you you could get behind somebody, but it really wasn't like you could lift on the throttle and go with them. You had to kind of keep it going. It was just so much heavier. Yeah, 
All right, so the you got times. Yeah, <laughs> you make it into the Dash series, and um, so you know beyond Daytona, how does the Dash experience go? Oh, I won in my third third race in Asheville Speedway, which was so cool because David Pearson was there, Elma Langley was there, um, and it was just it was it was awesome. And my dad was always like. You need to be the first. You need to be the first. And I'd be like, stop it. That's putting too much pressure on me. And I, I just need to, I need to be competitive. But when I did win that race and was the first, I got it. I got what he was saying because it yeah. did make a difference. And, you, and then what it was is I had a good car owner. I had a good equipment. So, I mean, every time we unloaded, we were going to be a threat. So that puts you in a whole different position for drivers to work with you. And to go with you. Right. Whereas moving into the Bush series, I was very impatient, wanted to move, probably moved quicker than I should have. And, you know, equipment was not as up to par and limited series where if you're not running full time and everybody else is, but they expect you to run as, they, as good as they are. And if you don't have the equipment, it's a hard thing to do. Yeah. Who's helping you? Like, for example, when you go to Daytona to the dash car, who are you talking to? Uh, for advice like you, what what person was probably the most supportive and giving you like drafting advice and things like that uh Davey Allison Davey yeah I I, I what well, that was with Polaroid and Polaroid somehow had some kind of a dinner with Davey and I mean I knew who Davey was but it was more like he was just so like helpful like doing like enter the corner like this try this try that and then he would he would spot not spot spot, but he would be on the, on the radio. He, yeah, on the radio with me. Yeah. So he just, I felt comfortable to be able to go and ask. But I mean, a lot of you guys were that way. There were some that weren't that way at all, which I could say Mike Wallace would, did not like me being on the track. A lot of the uh, Dash guys, some did, some didn't. But you kind of live and you learn. I think uh, one time at Darlington, I was talking to Jeff Gordon and, and Jimmy Johnson, and, and I, didn't, I, I was in a Polaroid car. And I'm like, I just can't seem to get into through three and four really good. And so they're like, just carry it in a little farther, you know, lift and let it roll through this usual stuff. Well, so then here I go, damn. <laughs> I carried it in a little bit way too far. And they were like, we didn't mean that much. So did, did I think, I, oh, I, you know, I slapped the Darlington yeah. stripe oh, gotcha. pretty damn good. So, you know, I, I wasn't afraid to, to ask to learn. You know, you gotta learn from all the other people. And oh so. yeah. How, but how did you and Davy? What what started the Davy part? Because like that's interesting. Um, I think it had to do. Well, I know Davy was with Roush Yates, and later when um, Polaroid kind of met him, and it was like, okay, you know, when you go the the you're in the Bush Garage, but you walk over to the Cup side, how mm. it used to be, and it was always very intimidating to walk over mm. to the Cup side because I didn't really know who to talk to and when Polaroid had, had kind of built a relationship with Davey I'm not even sure what it was but I don't think it was a sponsor thing or anything just that he was just very helpful I mean he was just somebody that was like what do you need? I mean I kind of felt like he was talking to me on the same level not like mm. you're an idiot and I can't be able to tell you that he was just super nice yeah. and I think uh, Jeff was with Roush Yates when Davey was killed I met Jeff through Ernie Irvin, just... Jeff Clark. Yeah. So... Oh, big Jeff this, Clark. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. So I think it was a little bit of that, that, that Roush Yates and, and then Davey and then Ernie, um, those are just people that I felt 
easy to talk to. And, yeah. and you know, like, the worst thing to be in a garage area, especially after you're not driving, is you don't feel like you have, like, a place to be. I mm. hate that. Yeah. I, I hate being at the track and not feeling like I have a space, like a reason to be there. What am I doing? And I think when with Jeff, I at least always know that I could always go to the – Ralph Shades trailer, and I felt like I wasn't just somebody hanging out. Sure. It, was, it was I was there, as you know, supposed to be there. Yeah, I, mean, I felt the, the same way. Like yeah. when I retired, I was like, I need to, I need a reason to be there. I want to go. Yeah, but I don't want to go and walk in a garage and not know where I belong. Right, right? or it if you're accepted, or if I, yeah, was, people are. That's why I think a lot of you know drivers and retired drivers and even mechanics and so forth when they leave. They got that you never see them. I know they disappear because where do you, where do you go? It's a right. huge point. Yeah. I, I didn't even realize they that. don't want right. to go to the racetrack and walk in and go. Why? Why did? I, what am I? I need, yeah. I need to be needed. I need a purpose and a reason to be here. I need a job. Yes. to be doing. Yeah, no matter what it is. Yeah, right? exactly. And or, I or a place to feel like you're not in the way or a yes, place to because yeah. that's how you feel. You feel yeah. like you're. In the way inconveniencing like, yeah. people or something. Yeah, I don't that's, like that. That's, feeling he, at all. that's true. That's totally <laughs> yeah. true. Yeah. So, so uh, until you met Jeff Clark, did you feel like you were a bit on an island? Um, and you're just kind of—is it fair to say just looking for people to, that you could, you know, seek advice from, or at least just have a conversation with? Or, or were you? Was that a hard thing to find? Like, was there? No. Uh, before that. Um, and I mean, I pretty much tell it all, but when I was driving for David Watson, I lived in Boone, and I think I was driving for him for a year, year, almost two years. I started dating Eddie Pearson. So of the Pearsons at that time, Larry was Chattanooga Chew, Bush champion. So Eddie and I got married. We were married for almost three years, no kids. And then, so I was already kind of going into the Bush series, was you know, there, I, I knew a lot of people and felt more comfortable yeah. from being, I think the Dash series, I really earned respect. So mm -hmm. the Bush series was more difficult because of not having that consistent ride. But then when I got Polaroid, it was one of the higher end sponsors. Um, started out with uh, Don Beverly and then went to Mike Laughlin. So it was kind of like changing teams and, and Ed Faree, uh that was still the hit and miss of not being full-time, but I, I had a good deal, and we were moving along. So I knew a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And uh, Eddie and I divorced, and I kept racing. I was still running in the, the Bush series. And then I ran – well, then later on – I don't want to make this too long of a story, but it's funny. That's if, We can make it long. <laughs> That's what this is about. So <laughs> I would always go – you know, I was in a, a – part-time bush ride and at the time james finch had purvis and mark reno i i knew from just knowing people and i would always go over there and be like if you would put me in one of your cars i'll show you if you would just give me a chance because i mean every time they ran in the arcs they were they oh. were they were good his stuff was one of the best team owners in arc at that time yeah and um so that was 94 that I would be at the garage area. I was running limited. I got to pull at Atlanta. So, I mean, we were making some progress, but it was like, if you just really, really, not that I was in a terrible car. I mean, I did get the pole and, um, and then we were second at Rockingham the weekend after Atlanta, but I constantly was doing that. And 
uh, Jeff and I married in 94. In 95, limited schedule again, limited schedule, kept knocking on James Finch's door. Just, mm-hmm. you know, give me a chance, give me a chance, give me a chance. Well, mid-2005, I was really just sponsor hunting, didn't have a great deal. Um, you know, I was 30, and I knew I wanted kids, and so I had Tanner in 96. And pregnant with Tanner, Mark Reno calls me, getting ready to oh. go to Daytona testing. All right? So he's like, hey, we're putting Purvis in the Cup Series, and we're going to take our ARCA car, and thought maybe you might want to come test for us and see if you want to run the ARCA race at Daytona. Mm. I didn't say anything. I hung up the phone and said, let me call you back. I went and bought five pregnancy tests. I you better be, yeah, you want to be sure. <laughs> yeah, five more, and I'm like, and, and, you know, it was day, it was early. You just find out. You could have done it. Nobody would have known. But there was just – so I called him back, and I'm like, all right, listen, you know how bad I want this. But, you know, it's just been a year since I've really had a lucrative deal, and I'm going to have a baby, and I just can't do it. It was dead silence. Well, hell, that's the first excuse I've ever heard <laughs> from a driver. <laughs> I'm like, ah. But here's what happened. So I had Tanner in 96 and Samantha in 97. And in 99, I drove for James Finch in the Bob Evans car and finished second at Daytona under caution. And I'm telling you what, Mark Reno was, you know, going into it. He's like, well, we'll see. We'll see how she does. We'll see how she does. Yeah, that's a tough crowd. And I'm telling you what, if I had a green flag finish, I would have won or crashed. There's no question. I know that. Who won? Bobby. Oh, it Bob wasn't Gearhart. Frank Kimmel. It was Bob Gearhart. Yeah, Bobby Gearhart. Yeah, yeah Bobby Gearhart won. And uh, but coming from that is when Michael Cranifus approached me. And at the time, he was uh, Pinsky Cranifus with Jeremy Mayfield. Oh, that's right. I got a ride full season with Cranifus in Arca Series. So that's what came from that Bob Evans race. Dang, that is a story. So, yeah. It is a story, Good and group. you know, people said. And this is the, you know, the female side of it that you don't hear a lot. But there was, there was some criticism of how can you do that? Like, how can you go get in a race car when you have two little kids? Like, well, the kids came to the track with me. My mother-in-law came to help. I, and at this point, I had like a, a, a motor coach or RV to where it was not like, I want to teach my children to don't ever give up on your, your goals. If I was a mountain climber, if I was succeeding at, at Climbing a mountain or, or being an Olympian in some way, because I had children, didn't mean I was going to stop doing that. I kind of wanted them to learn that part. And Jeff was in racing, too, so it was just kind of a, a thing. But there were some people that were like, how can you do that? But From within? I mean, from uh, industry? Not or? really. No, it was probably more, not necessarily fans, because I've always had a really good fan base. But, yeah, a little bit within. Oh. A little bit within. Like maybe some moms from the, you know. Oh, gosh, yeah. Maybe you know but it's something you got to decide to do and and i felt more comfortable doing that than driving on the interstate so yeah, they, and, they and, didn't know your speeding ticket history yeah they thought, you're <laughs> exactly. way safer in a race car exactly so it, <laughs> it was something to where you kind of you know dealt with some stuff but at the same time i i felt positive jeff supported me and the kids were great and they are great and yeah. the reason i got out of it in 2005 is because i didn't feel like i was in safe equipment in a good situation, and uh, it wasn't worth it. If I wasn't out there, I wasn't a starting park, and I was never going to be a starting park. I walked away from the Vassarette car. To Jeff Green got in it, 
They were going to Talladega. And I had said to the sponsor, I, I don't, I just don't feel like it's safe. Well, he ended up getting the roof flaps were rigged and they literally parked that car for like in front of inspection. He didn't get to run the race because it was when they just started with roof flaps. It was mm-hmm. like 2004, 2005, 2005. Yeah. And uh, no, four maybe. And I, I didn't feel bad about that. I'm like, I don't, if I'm not going to do it right, or be in a, a good thing. I'm not. I'm. I'm ready to walk away then. And you know, my kids were in sports, and I didn't feel like I was. I wasn't ready to really say I'm quitting. Quit was never a word. But it was kind of like I'm not doing it that way. So mm-hmm. if there was another chance, maybe I would have. Timing would have been perfect because 2005, 2006, 2007, things totally changed. So there was no social media when I raced. I mean, look at it now. Look at Haley Deegan and how she. She definitely, well, so many drivers, uh, yeah. William Byron, they're all really good on the keeping their fans and talking, and we never had that. Yeah. So it's a different world. Who's, uh, you can't ever say, what if, what if, what if. I don't, I don't regret it. I kind of had to visually close the garage door, uh, and then I felt like, well, I can open another one. So that's when I started decorating. And I think you hired me to do Whiskey River. Yeah. Short, oh, no, I did here. Yeah. I did this. I did Kelly's. I did yours. Yeah. So, so there's me up on a yeah. scaffolding painting squares. But I had it comes from my mom. My dad was a racer. My mom was kind of the antique artist, artsy. So I got a little bit of them both. So yeah. hey, a person that can have two passions in their life is a pretty lucky person. You mentioned Mike Wallace. There was you sat on the pole in the Bush car at Atlanta, and I mean this is right as soon as you got into the Bush series. Yes, ninety four, which was. I think a lot of I remember when that happened. I think a lot of people were like, "That's impressive," you know. And you were probably thrilled to be able to go out there and show people that you had that kind of speed, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. And so, what happens in the race? So um, we were, you know, the whole key for me was just drive smart, hold your position best you can, but be smart. And so we go into turn one. Joe Nemechek was on my outside. I was on the inside, carried my way pretty much through one, and Wallace came in between us and hit me. I went out, Nemechek went out, and it was just like heartbreak, you know. That's And that's all I was thinking of at that time is just like, you know, you have a chance, and then it's gone and before the first lap. And you know how many people had bets on that oh, she'll crash before mm-hmm. that. I don't remember if it was turn one. I think it was turn three. So we got through one really well going into three and that's when it happened but here's what happened is after you know I'm just heartbroken and just like you just want to redo and then Kyle Petty was uh, commentating and he came up to me and he said I just want to let you know I just got done interviewing Nemechek and he is hot as hell because Mike Wallace told him he's taking you out on lap one well what happened is he took Nemechek out too so that's why Joe was like that was that's the story, and yeah. I'm not gonna say that's just what Kyle Petty told me. And then you know, then the the microphone's in your face, and you're just I'm just like heartbroken. You just want another chance, but wow. too bad that something like that had to happen, and we didn't really get to see where we were. Because yeah. my goal was to finish that race up front. My obviously your goal is to win, but at that point you're you're young, and this is a big deal, and you got the media. You don't. I would rather not have any media until I winning races sure. then you want the media 
but it was a lot of pressure. But I, I don't I don't think I screwed up. But there was a lot of pressure. Yeah, there was a lot of media. There was a, a lot, lot of people talking about you coming in a series, being a female, mm-hmm. and then you go out there and sit on a pole. I mean, that amplified all of that noise. Yes, you know, and so we standing on you know standing on pit road before you climb in your car. I mean, you you imagine you're feeling tons of pressure. Oh yeah, but it goes when you get in the car. Disappear. It goes away. Isn't that great? Yes, it is. <laughs> then that's exactly what yeah. it felt like, and I felt like uh, the girl that was doing my marketing had come up to me, and um, she grabbed my hand like right before I put the window net up, and she's like, "I feel your dad. I just felt him like come through me. He's here." And my dad had passed away in '93, so I lost him in the midst of before he could ever see that Polaroid trailer oh, with man. my name on the side wow. and. So she's like, I feel you. But I'm telling you, it's, it's all that stuff and the cameras and all that. You're focused when you get in yeah. there. And then it's like, and then later when I went into the Cup Series, um, it's like I had to really learn, like, when you get in that car to pull through that garage area, you have blinders on. You don't care who's looking at you, what they're thinking, who thinks what. Just go and do the best you can do. And it was always easier when you had the helmet on than – yeah. Out. So the way you're telling the story, it gives me a sense that there was, while you were having your kids, your driving career was was on hold, but it was kind of pretty sporadic up in that point anyways. Yes. And so this this breakthrough run with Finch, Finch reignited yes. interest in your career, right? So you go run the full-time in the ARCA series. Yes. How does that go? Oh, back to that time to where you feel like when you pull in and you unload your your factor and you gain respect, I did that in the ARCA series. Didn't win, came close, did, I think, third in points, third in points, uh, rookie of the year, most popular driver, all that stuff, but didn't didn't have a win. Bro- had the pole at Michigan. Penske had brought Ryan Newman for his first ARCA race, and we were in practice blew a motor. So Michael goes over to Penske's and to Ryan's, like, we need to borrow your backup motor because you could do that then. So put the backup motor in. I qualified on the pole. Ryan qualified second. Oh, <laughs> with his motor. Yeah, <laughs> with his motor. So uh, great, great story there. Uh, Mid point of the race, I think I was running third, fourth, blue right front tire, hit the wall, broke my ribs, broke my shoulder. Flew mm. off in a plane. Next thing you know, you're in the emergency room, and they think you have collapsed lungs and all that stuff. But I, I had broken shoulder, broken ribs, got in the car at Pocono and started the race, but Michael made me get out. I didn't want to get out. Because when you're hurt, you're not hurt when you're in there. It hurts to get in, yeah. and it hurts to get out. Oh, but Once you're buckled once, in, it's yeah. kind of like I'll hold you. it's all holding you in yeah. place. And I met – Michael had called, I think he said maybe you or Bobby Labonte – had broken a shoulder, and this guy named Al Shuford, who was a trainer for the Panthers, Michael called yeah. me up, and he's like, I'd just gotten home. It was a, from the uh, crash in Michigan, so it was like Monday or Tuesday. And he's like, you need somebody to get you in the car, and you need to drive there, and you need to go. He's going to do physical therapy with you. And this guy was like super like, I'm at Panther Stadium in their training room. And he's like, I had wrapped, you know, all the ribs wrapped, and he's like, when you grip a steering wheel, I'm going to have you turn in it left by the time you leave here. 
Mm. And they put me in that wave pool. Ah, yeah, I did Taped that. stuff up, yeah. worked on the shoulder, worked on the ribs, and I drove Pocono. And that's how I met Al Shuford, who he was the one who said, you need to be absolutely not concerned about what people are saying, what people think. When you drive through the garage area, you have a right to be there. And that was going into Cup because it wasn't really my plan. It was my plan with Michael, and we ran – my first cup race was Michigan, and I finished the first 500-mile race. I think I don't remember where, but I know I finished. And um, then things started. Michael was bringing his son in and uh, trying to figure out what we were going to do. We tried to – Tropicana came in. We tried to make some more cup races. And that's when Bam approached me to run full cup season. And I'm like, I, I understand, but why don't you get, like, Ted Musgrave, who at the time I think didn't have a ride, but he was always a veteran driver. Why don't you put Musgrave in your cup car? Because it's a brand new team, brand new manager, brand new crew, brand new everything. And you want me to b- go and do the cup series. And and I had driven uh, Michigan, went to some others, and I felt like, hey, if it's the opportunity, I, I'm, I'll, I'll take it. What was their answer to that? Uh, like they wanted uh, – they had the money to start the team, and they wanted – the marketing value of me. And I was running ARCA. I'd proven myself I'd run some cup, but they wanted a female. Is that insulting? And it was a female owner. And yeah, a little bit. It was kind of like, here's my thing. Put me in the Bush series, in a full-time ride, and let me go from there, and then next year let's look at doing that, or the following year. Yeah. But why like this? Well, that's, well, it's your only opportunity. If you want it, I didn't, we weren't, we weren't going full-time with Michael, and that was what the hope was. Mm. Uh, we were so close to having a, a specific garden. It was, um, I can't remember the company, but a huge company, and it ended up falling through to another team. And so we kind of were still searching for sponsors. So when BAM approached, then uh, that's where I went. And we went to Daytona in 2002 with no sponsor, uh, brand-new manager. Eddie Sharp was my crew chief. And a basically rookie team, and we made the race on time, and finished twenty third, my first cup race. That the biggest thing was making it on time. Like yeah. I qualified for that race. I didn't make it because of points, or mm. I made it on time. And then I think the incident with you was at Atlanta. I qualified sixteenth in a cup race. That was huge yeah. for me. I. It wasn't the same car that I qualified in. Or, of course, when I went into turn one, it was not. Springs in the back, everything was different. Yeah. And Are you talking about so Atlanta? We yeah. were at Texas. It was Texas. That's so Texas. Texas. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. Texas. I'll tell, I'm I'll tell sorry. the story. No, it's yeah. fine. I'll tell the story. It's pretty funny. Oh. So I was a little shithead. So I'm driving the Bud car, got all this attention, and probably maybe some of it was going to my head. But um, I go out on the racetrack to make a qualifying run, and Shauna was on the racetrack in front of me. Uh, I don't know if I passed you or whatever, but I, in my opinion, Shauna had bothered my qualifying run, my mock run in practice. Right, we, when back in practice, we used to take the grill off yeah. and go out and make a run. Right, and if somebody pulled out in front of them, you're like, "Girl, what'd you do yeah. that?" You know, it happened every week, and and I, I did it sometimes, pull out in front mm-hmm. of people. But anyways, I flipped her off, and which is. If you are kind of by the old school of thought, like her and myself and even my dad's generation, the bird is not okay. Mm. Uh, that's like personal, right? Uh, it's 
often used now, but that was that was like a bad offense. You know, if you're going to flip somebody off, it better be because they did something really, really bad. Well, she come I'm it's like after practice. And correct me if any of this is incorrect, but she comes into my holler and I'm standing there doing something, pacing around, I don't know, getting some snack or something. And she comes up and goes, you're not going to do that to me. And I said, well, you pulled out in front of me. She's like, I don't care. You're not going to flip me off. You're not going to treat me like that. And she was a lot more, she was a little louder than that. No, nope. <laughs> she was. I had a tendency for that at She time. was ticked off. And I was like, I, I understand. I understand. Good I for you, Shauna. Yeah. <laughs> Good for you. That's and I right. told Sonny, I'm mean, not Sonny, but I told Tony, Tony Yuri Sr. Yeah. was my crew chief. And I told him, and I said, uh, I said, this is what happened. The race starts, and I don't remember what point of the race it was, but it was, Shauna was on the inside, and I was on the outside on a restart. And I went down in the corner, and, and she came up the track. I came and, up. Yeah. And we hit, and, it, and I crashed, and I get out of the car. And I thought, I thought, I was like, man, she's still mad. Oh, <laughs> I was like, I thought it was it's over. Just a bird finger. I thought, yeah. it was, I thought it was over after the holler conversation. <laughs> and she's still mad about it. And I go over to Tony Sr. And he's like, it's your fault. Uh, yeah. Now, I will tell you, you right? I yeah. did not do that intentionally. Yeah. I couldn't, I, I couldn't keep it down. Yeah. And it's the last thing I wanted to do. But, I mean, it was a long Obviously. time ago. Yeah, yeah. it was. Oh, but, oh, oh, yeah, but hold up. Yeah. Let's not move on past this. <laughs> but maybe, maybe we should have changed my story. Uh, uh, <laughs> okay. Did, did everything he say, is that how you remember it first? Yeah. Okay, so he did. All right. Secondly, do you remember what his reaction was after you went into his holler? Because going into somebody's holler, is that that's a bold, courageous thing. You don't know how many people are in there. You don't know. There's a lot of uncertainty. So you do it. Yeah. I think I was my adrenaline was probably so much okay. like I'm not for you know I had a decent car and I didn't you know I just don't do that. But I think he didn't react in a like get the heck out of my trailer or get you know I'm whatever he. I was like sorry, right. no, <laughs> right. I didn't know. <laughs> I was like ah oh, sorry, she yeah. was so mad because you don't I, like confrontation no, at all. I was, yeah. so he, I was it was I was really uncomfortable, but you know she had came to my hauler. It was important to her to mm -hmm. give me this message, you know, and I had enough respect for her that I was not going to, I mean, I, and I'm not that type of person to be like, ah, oh, get out of here or something. Yeah. You know, I was like, yep, I got it. I understand. Yeah. And then I was. was oh, wait, wait just a second. It just occurred to me what to say it. Are you still with Jeff Clark at this time? No, no. Okay. No, we're great. We're our kids are. No, no, no. I'm not, now, not now. I'm talking about at the time oh, of then. this. That was 04, 05. Nope. Okay, because that because I don't know that we've even said it. I think everybody yeah. assumes it, but Jeff Clark was Dale Jr.'s gas man. Yes, and Jackman at one point, like Jackman yeah. gas man on the Budweiser team, the number eight team. Yeah, and that's the Jeff Clark we're talking about. You married, had two kids with. Yeah. Okay, in the nineties, but you were not with Jeff at this time because that adds another whole layer to this story. <laughs> it does. No, we. Um, I think it was two thousand that we had. Uh, Got divorced. It. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. 2001. So, um, but he was still, he still had my back. So, if I was, you know, sure. Yeah. Jeff was always oh. a good one to have on he's your a side. He's damn yeah, right he, he was. He <laughs> always was. He's we, a sweetheart we, and he's Goliath. We, I mean, call yeah. him, we called him the Universal Soldier because he was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And he's still like that. I mean, yeah. he's still like. Got And okay. hey, my kids are amazing. I mean, my kids are, but they're both 6'1 and, and they have his bones yeah. and. So, so, all right, but that that doesn't that. play into the story. So then you mistakenly, not on purpose, take out Dale. Was there anything after that? Like, did you go say something in the media or whatever? That I don't know. I probably probably was snarky not in happy, my post race, yeah. but and I know I got some comments for yeah. for taking Dale Junior out. You know, that's 
Yeah. That wasn't a good thing. Yeah. And people were like. Yeah. Yeah. But so, I imagine you probably dealt with just anytime you're in an incident, you probably dealt with that. Like you had to yeah. deal with, you know, the comments. I, I'm, am yeah. I wrong in saying that it probably never left you? Like people saying, just always have a, the, having a comment or no, something? No, it does leave you because you can't carry it around with you. Like that with, was a, it was a bad situation. Didn't mean for it to happen. But if I carried it to the next track, then to me, something else is probably going to happen. You're going to do something stupid. So you gotcha. just got to let them go. But I was very well trained on uh, drivers not happy with me or didn't like the fact that I was out there, even, even if I didn't do anything. They just, I mean, I had a, one of the truck guys, you know, you need to have an apron on and be in the kitchen. And, and we were kind of pretty competitive, and my owner was a little sassy. And so he put bye-bye boys on the back of my fuel tank on the truck. On and the, then this the other rig. guy, yeah, on the big yeah. rig. And the other guy put bye-bye bitch. So, you know, I kind of created that situation, but that's, <laughs> that's kind of how they were. And, oh, my god! You gosh. know, that was one that was like, yeah. Yeah. Did you follow that, so, Mike? Yeah. The yeah, other the competitor it. had on no, his no, truck. I got it. Oh yeah. my God. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's such a different time. Yeah. It's right. such a different time. Right. And was there anybody, even going back to trucks, was there anybody that you felt disrespected by that ultimately though in the end was redeemed and 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 came to when they either got to know you or you know, whether it just took time? Is there anybody like that that you um that y'all learned to have a mutual respect with. Yeah, I think in the dash cars, uh, Larry Cottle was really competitive at that time. And I was running real well at that time. And um, we had a couple incidents and, you know, bad words were said or, you you know, just it was kind of like we were always kind of there. There would always be kind of something where is he going to take me out or am I going to take him out? But it was this... And then it came to be to where he approached me at one of the races and he, he had come up and he's like, you know, I think it's pretty cool racing with you and you mm. are a racer. He's like, you know, you start out with the situation. There were very few women in, in the sport. There was another uh, girl running in the dash series at that time. But you kind of come in there and it's all show. It's all media. Da, 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 da. Well, let's see if she can prove herself. And he's like, yeah, you gave me a hard time. I gave you a hard time, but, but I respect you as a driver, and you're one of the best ones out here. So that was a pretty cool mm-hmm. thing to happen yeah. for him to, to say that. Yeah, I was, uh, I was riding home on the plane with uh, Dale Jarrett, and he thought that you were uh, extremely talented. He was the one who told me I made the Daytona 500. I didn't even know I had made it. And Dale he's Jarrett? Like, yeah. In 2002. Like came up and, yeah, came up and you know, patted me on the back and said, good job, you're in. And I'm like, but we were stand. We had I hadn't even it hadn't registered yet. <laughs> and then my media girl at the time took me straight across the street to the mall to do a, yeah. a autograph thing. It didn't even take me to the media center. So I had just made the Daytona 500, and they didn't take me to the media center. So I was like, "What?" And I didn't know. You know, how, yeah. when you have the people telling you where you got to be and what you got to do, and hey, that stuff at Volusia Mall though was no joke. I mean, like Volusia yeah, Mall, Volusia everybody Mall did that was, stuff yeah. back in the day. PRN had their big deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, Benny. Benny Parsons had his big mm-hmm. show over there. Yeah. So I I miss all that stuff. I know, right? We dreaded doing it when it was. No, happening. no, you did. I did. You dreaded yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How does racing wind down for you? you well, said, you mentioned earlier where you kind of just stepped away. You yeah. didn't like the car. You weren't feeling safe. But emotionally, like this is the something you've done all your uh, life. 
it was it was who I was. It was yeah. my identity so how, for so long. How'd you manage the emotions of um, doing that? I think one thing that I started this the, doing the decorating thing, and then um, when I and I was doing that when the kids were when they were little, and when I was pregnant, I was doing the painting and decorating because I wasn't driving, and then I got back into it. And then when I did decide to just I got to step away. I had never, this Facebook just started, and I didn't, I'm not a real good tech person. So my, a friend of mine had said, you need to do Facebook, but I was doing Happy Chair. So she's like, you need to create a Facebook with Happy Chair. What's and a so, Happy Chair? Um, it's where I created uh, furniture, uh, custom, vintage, uh, really fun, funky, and I was traveling around. I created all these sofas and chairs. And then I would sell them at different venues. Like, I just came back from Texas. I'm not doing Happy Chair anymore, but I'm doing design now more. But Miranda Lambert bought eight pieces from me at one of my shows. Whoopi Goldberg bought one. So it was pretty cool because I was doing online sales and creating this furniture. Well, so we started this Facebook page, and there were no Happy Chair people, and there was all race fans. It was like, Mm. where have you been? We loved you so much. And next thing I know, I had 5,000 fans friends on Facebook and it was all and it kind of like gave me this whole like you know you can't go with what if what if what if and I'll tell you it was it it wasn't easy when Danica came in I supported that 100% but for me to see all that media about her being the first one out there and then the first this yeah and I'm like like I didn't never exist uh-huh. and but I mean I I supported her I'd met her prior to she was, uh, you know, up and coming, but it was hard to kind of see all that, like, it's, but it's a different time. And that's why you got to look at it. And now I've done, I'm on the appeals for NASCAR, so I'm still a part, and I do decorating pretty much for a lot of people that keep me into the sport. And yeah. so I don't miss it. I just don't like going to the track unless I'm there with someone or so doing. When's the last time reason. you went to the track? Um, let's see. It was probably Talladega last year. Thanks. And then um, Texas, I went with Boyers, Laura and Clint because we were they were building, and um, we went all over and bought all kinds of Texas stuff. Gotcha, big stuff right. and Texas stuff. And so yeah, I went to Texas with them, and I didn't go to Charlotte this year just because I just did. I can you know I've got a card and everything, but it's like you got to go by yourself then unless yeah. you really know, or you can, obviously you're going to see people, but it's dwindling down to those in the garage area who remember my time frame. <laughs> There's a few, but now it's so different. Yeah, it is. So different. So let's talk about your health scare yeah. a little bit, um, which I can't imagine uh, how difficult that yeah. was for you. So how do you find out about your cancer? Um, I found out I had made an appointment with my, uh, OB because I wasn't feeling right. Like I didn't have any suspect of anything. I just felt like, uh, I'm, I'm, my emotions are out of whack and you know, it's probably hormones. It's just like, I'm, I'm crying at a minute or I just feel weak, like weaker than I've ever felt. And the night before that appointment, I felt a little pee, uh, just a little bump, but neither, I don't know why I felt it then didn't even phase me really. It's just something I had never really felt before. And so I told her, I'm in the doctor's office and I'm like crying. I'm like, I don't know what's wrong with me. I think my hormones are messed up or I'm blah, blah, blah. And, and then I said, oh, I did find this little thing. And she's like, oh, well, 
So she's like immediately made a, a diagnostic, what are they called? Mammogram. Mammogram. I just went blank. So um, that day I went over and did the mammogram. And then I don't remember if I had to come back. No, it was diagnostic. So my mother-in-law, Jeff's mom, went with me. And, you know, we waited, waited, waited. And then they put us in this little room. And the uh, nurse came in, and then the doctor came in, and they had the things. And they're like, well, you know, we found something. And it's transferred from your breast to your lymph nodes. So basically it's right at a stage three. Mm. And so then it was like, womp, 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 womp. You you just didn't. And my Sue is why she she had her little recorder so we could kind of go through. And then at that point, the next thing you know, they give you your – your cancer Bible and all your stuff. And, and they're like, don't get online. Don't just, just, you, you have like a person that they connect you with. That's like your guidance counselor or whatever. And don't you dig around. Looking. Don't dig around. And then the next step from there was to go to a surgeon and, uh, go get an oncologist. All the, you know, it's like all of a sudden you're on this path and every, every. Nothing else matters except getting this figured out. So immediately I'm like, just let's do it. Let's do whatever. Just cut them off. Let's do whatever we're going to do. And so after my blood, then it takes forever. Then there's like a week that goes by before they figure out because they have to do your blood work. They got to do all these tests. So like waiting for the surgeon to call to say, here's your surgery. It's scheduled. Well, after the blood work, the OB was like, we're going to go a different way. We're going to start you on chemo, um, and then we're going to do surgery, and then we're going to do more chemo, and then radiation. We're, we're going to try to get this. So first chemo, I um, had a reaction after. Like, we were leaving, and I was getting in the car, and I just got really, like, dizzy. My, I felt like my chest was, like, I couldn't breathe. Mm. So went back in, and they basically put me in the the ER and checked everything and I had had a reaction to one of the, cause it was strong. It was strong dose. The first time I chemo, I'm saying, so what exactly, what, what's with my, when, when's my hair going to fall? Cause that's the thing you should think about. Um, so she's like five or uh, 12 days. I'm like 12 days. Yep. 12 days. And I'm like, Oh, I wasn't really expecting that answer. And it, that's how it was. It was like, so once they redid my, the formula that they were putting me on the cocktail, as they say, um, so I did chemo, um, had surgery. They were able to remove um, the lump. I did more chemo. Then they checked again to make sure nothing was coming back. And then I did radiation. I was getting ready to start radiation, which was going to be 28 days. My chemo was extra. It was like two years because I had to. So it was more than usual. Like usually you do it. You do surgery. Then you do chemo. Then you're done. And I was getting ready to start radiation. And uh Ray Aaron Evernham called me about doing a remodel in their condo in Amelia Island. And I'm like, well, you know, I've been, and I had been going through it. I was still doing, like, I would every day, you just had to listen to your body. Every day that you knew that you felt good, then do something. Do something. And then there's days you just got to listen. And if you don't, there was a lot of uh, Epsom salt baths and a lot of nausea and a lot of stuff. But, um, you just kind of had to keep going because you knew you're going through this path. And so anyway, work was one of the things that I loved to be able to 
work. When I felt good, I worked. And so I ended up starting my radiation at uh, the Mayo Clinic in Jacksonville. And I went and remodeled their condo. I would go to the ferry and drive it over to the radiation every day, except weekends, and back. And then I worked with builders. I worked, picked out stuff. There were days I didn't feel good. They totally worked with me and finished my radiation, finished the project, which got me through it. And <laughs> That's crazy. it did. But I'll tell you, radiation was a, a lot more than I thought it was going to be. Chemo was hard because you feel like crap. And it's you never know how you're going to react to certain things. But the radiation was like m- meat. It was like just it burns you from the inside out. First mm-hmm. few days are nothing, but you get into day 15, and then it's like, ugh, it's awful. But I was very lucky, so I didn't have to have a mastectomy. They got the lump and, you know, a little bit here and there. But So I'm you never did surgery? Lucky. No, I did surgery. Did surgery, but you yeah, we did surgery. I, so they, you, you know, took part, but they didn't have to take it all. So, uh, yeah, like, how long are we talking about it? Like, what kind of time span from the time you <laughs> found out you had cancer to the time? 2014 through 17, I was in treatment. Right before that, like with uh, less than a, six months, Jeff's dad had died from prostate cancer. I ended up having the same oncologist and same wow. a chemo person in the same that he did. And, wow. and Sue, my mother-in-law, was very, like, she had just gone through the loss of him, which was very unexpected. And then less than a year after I was done, my son, 19 years old, got testicular cancer. And it was like, this uh, is not happening. And his process was much quicker with chemo. Like, they did it in a three to four month period he lost his hair he was fragile and um but they did get everything and he didn't have to do radiation he just had to do his chemo and now it's been um i think he's going on year three and i'm on year six so so to be what's your what's your uh what's the process for you you know yearly annually yeah it used to be every three months um i'd have to have a scan um, What's that? Uh, like? like a mammogram scan, yeah. a diagnostic. Just to go just in. Just to go and look. A couple hours. Yep. And there was another lump came back. They had to do the diagnostic, which means they'd go in there with a needle. And um, it was all fatty tissue. There was no no cancer that was showing. So my last scan was just a few months ago. And they said, you don't need to come back for a year. Mm. You're looking good. That's Congrats. Nice. So, yeah. Good for great. you. Wow. It's a... I'll tell you, your sister, um, I had just found out, and I had some event at the Hall of Fame to go to that was, she was speaking at it, and, uh, you know, a lot of people in the business were there, and I had just found out, and I didn't even, I'm like, I don't think I can go, I don't think I can go, and a friend of mine is like, you could do this, you could do this, just do, and there was nobody I would have probably approached, but I went up to her, and I told her, and I, I just had to. It's like you're holding it in, you know. You can't hold it in. Just let it out. And it's kind of didn't really know what was going to happen or what I was going to do because it was so early into that point. And she was, well, she's always been amazing to me. Yeah. And even with, and the fact that she sent me a fax, that's the time frame, <laughs> a fax, uh, she, I think it was with Action or the sports that she was working for, the uh, Action Performance. Yep. And I had gotten a poll. 
and she mm. sent a fax to my shop saying, congratulations, it's so cool. She was always, and I spotted for her a little bit when she drove the mom and pop's late model car. Dang, I didn't Did know, you know that. that. Yeah. No, I did not know yeah. that. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah, at Hickory. How be damn. She yeah. just came out with a new shirt uh, going back to her. Yeah, oh, I saw that. Plate model shirt. I saw yeah. that. Damn. That's impressive. Okay, so then that, I thought your relationship with them probably started when you started doing the interior decorating and the designing because you did do Dale's Western Town. Mm-hmm. You did mm-hmm. this wall in here, you know, and I know a bunch of other projects. And yeah. did you, did I catch this? You, this is your first these were your first projects as a officially as a interior designer um, or no? No, I think Michael uh, Buffy at the time was probably one of my first. I okay, did pool Michael house. Lodger. Yes, I did there. No, my first was uh, Kim and Ernie Irvin when they oh. lived out here off 150 in the that house that burnt. Yeah, the house yeah. that burnt. That I had done that house, and um, then I later did help for them in South Carolina. So it was kind of that time frame. And I was started out with like I was doing faux finishing and murals. This is what murals in kids' rooms was like a big deal. I did uh, Doug Yates' first son Lane. Lisa was one of my best friends, and I did Lane's room, Winnie the Pooh. Like the whole thing was like clouds and sky. And then she had a little get together with a lot of the drivers' wives, and so word of mouth. It was more so- art, and then it became more design. And I did your house. Before you tore it down, the yeah. first one. Yeah, yeah. Did it was that? Awesome. Did a couple little other places over there that I did Kelly's when she built the first time. So it was. It's, it's all well, just been word of mouth. Here's why I ask. I, I, I'm curious. You're the only person on the planet that you can ever ask this question to. Is what is the reaction when somebody says, "Can you help design my Western town?" I can <laughs> imagine you'd never heard something like that before. I mean, like, did you think? He had lost his mind? I mean, like, what, what goes through your mind? No, because he told me, he's like, I kind of want this Willie Nelson vibe, <laughs> you know, Whiskey River. This is before the bar actually opened and all that. Right. I remember that was before I did Kelly's. But we had worked a little bit together. I mean, not, not together because I, I rarely ever saw him. It was just more like Brenda. Right. You know, yeah. Brenda, it was going through Brenda. I did Brenda and Willie's and did Kelly's and then this this had been my first shop. Then I did Casey's, Casey Kane's shop, his, and then Truex's. So wow. I have three on this street. <laughs> that's been a long time. It's you know how long of, ago this yeah. was. And I did Kelly's wedding. Wow. So to, yeah, yeah her wedding now, like, With LW, I did Wyatt's yeah. room. Yeah. Now to see him in the car, that's pretty cool. So Carson, yeah. I did Carson's room and Kennedy's room. I mean, you're, so your it goes foot, back. Your, your, your fingerprints are all over this place, yeah. all up and down Cayuga, all yeah, around Mooresville. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Well, that's kind of, it that's is. really neat. And Truex I've done a lot with and still do. Yeah. They they're, did the shop, did catwalk for 10 years. Had this you? was my first catwalk that I actually attended and didn't. And that felt weird because I'm like, I need to be doing something. Yeah. Like, I need to go light candles or make sure that everything's set up right. It was like, no, I can just <laughs> You've be here. You've done that for 10 years? 10 years. Nice. I did the very first I one. I didn't know you did any of all that. All that decorating. I did all oh that. Oh, my gosh. The Midsummer Night's Dream, all the different oh, themes, yeah. the bond. I created that. I'm, I'm at a chainsaw at my house. I bought huge marine foam blocks, as big as this table, but thick. And so I carved out grooves in it, and I was making this big entryway. This by, and then we would you know, stack the stones because we had to transport them to the venue. And then I took pool noodles in the curves and to make it look like roots. <laughs> Made all that stuff. Just That's creativity. Fun times, but yeah. I was glad not to do this last one, though. It was kind of a relief to not 
go through it again because yeah. it was a lot. Yeah, it sounds but it's like a it. fabulous to, to attend it as a guest yeah. was oh, amazing. Yeah. What yeah. they do for those kids, yeah. what it's you always, all do. It's always uh, an amazing event. Yeah, and uh, Sherry and Truex do that. Um, I, I asked her. I said I need the Western Town to look older than it is because when we built it it was like brand new the wood was all pretty much new yeah and i was like well now i need it to look like it's 150 years old <laughs> and she came in and i mean inch from one plate from one end to the other like she was i a remember lot of work. you may not remember this but i remember she painted a bunch of murals all kinds yeah of stuff. murals but at the the vents that were on the old wood walls yeah. you know they were white and just like Looked and weird. i had done this aging on the wall and I made it to where the vent just the disappeared. Vent disappeared and he's like that's so cool <laughs> I remember you saying that yep. <laughs> she made the vent disappear in the yep. wall yeah yeah. <laughs> it, was, yeah. it was impressive because it was a lot of work yeah you know, she did the whole town and painted every post board every exterior a lot of interior work yeah the saloon the man one of those days I got a piece of that wood underneath my fingernail ouch <sighs> That was painful. Well, I'll have you know <laughs> but, that just this weekend, a friend of mine used that air location for their wedding. Really? Yeah. So, I mean, it's still going strong. That's we, so cool. There's not been much done to it since you last put your finishing touches. That's so we, great. I'm so glad to hear that. That's like, it's, it makes you feel so good to come in here and see that it's still, it just, it's grown. Yeah. yeah. With more names on the wall and more things, but you still see a lot of it. Yeah. And you got to go-kart track out there too don't you i do yeah that wasn't yeah. there when i did the town but later on it was yeah yeah that's great thank you yeah my place it's yeah uh, what so what are you doing these days you just said you got back from texas yeah i just went to texas for i used to set up there um for three or four years where it'd be we'd have like 15 my to 20 it's pieces massive it's round top um massive it's like together. 30 to 40 miles of antique dealers vendors people that go Sounds like amazing. that go like tommy hilfinger um that the people that actually set the stage for like the ellen show or any of these like kelly clarkson show any that's where you go to get your stuff i mean you see everything there from from games to like old game boards old gas cans you see front oh, wow. ends of trucks and i've got tons of cool pictures from it and then you see furniture too like just all high end. What's it called? It's called Round Top Texas. It's okay. it's Texas Antique Week, and they do it in the spring and in the fall. And that's the first time, the the second time I set up there. And it's like ten days, so you're literally or I had a twenty six foot box truck stuffed full, and you do like it could be just a uh, empty room, and you end up making it look like it's a store, you know, like a showroom. Mm -hmm. People build stuff, and it's closed to cowboy boots to hats to salvage so you filled anything. up a box truck oh yeah i had all my pieces then you then you get there and you got to set up so you're there for like two days just setting up and then you're there for you, 10 days selling who took all the stuff out there i did you drove it out there yeah she yeah. happens to drive you drive it back <laughs> she has experience in a truck i did drive I just, it back and that's not as fun I, I, as driving I, I, there let me tell you i figured that was the case i didn't want to assume. no okay. yeah no yeah. i did um yeah the first year you kind of you don't know what to expect and we had driven I, the girl that sets up with me went, the two of us drove, and it was like we didn't get in until probably 2, 3 in the morning because I like to drive at night. We just drove straight through, but it was 24 hours. And so we get there, and we start seeing all this stuff. It's like it's like walking, what if you walked into a place and all you saw was race cars? Well, all you see is like 
antiques and salvage and furniture and lighting. And it's like, we were like wide awake. We were ready to unload the truck and start. <laughs> but uh, it's a long week and it's yeah. a lot of work, but it's it's very cool. It sounds amazing. Yeah. I mean, it's th- a fun thing to do. Like I told you, Clinton Laura went to buy, well, that was in uh, another place of Texas, but no, they went there. They went to Round Top. You guys were racing and then we did um, Round Top. I took them there for two days and they're like, I was sending them pictures and Justin Marks because they did their, they love all that kind of stuff. You yeah. know, the old, like you do. Yeah. The stuff you can't. Justin Marks just with Track House. Yes. Oh, man. I did their house in here. In North Carolina. In North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they moved to California and flew me out to do that house. <laughs> they didn't even make it to Christmas on this house here. And she loved it. And, but they ended up moving to California so I went out there, did their house. I had uh, a built, I found a carpenter there, and I had all these little houses built in the girls' bonus room. So they were little cabins. <laughs> it was like six little cabins that had little bunk beds and little. So that was their bonus room, playroom. Yeah. Well, then didn't even make it through Christmas, and they're like, we're um, moving to Nashville. So I didn't do the Nashville thing because I think they just kind of bought everything. They. They love. They move a lot then. They, yeah. What they, are they, they, they they do projects and they just move before they're done. Is that their deal? Busy I guy. know they love Nashville. Yeah. yeah, they do love Nashville. I know that. Yeah. So is your is clientele that, like very specific or like like if anybody wants like like how do you just take anybody that wants to have a big project in a in a, a remodeling or anything like that? How do how do yeah, you? Yeah, I did some like stuff in Charlotte and. But when I moved out of Charlotte and moved this way, most of my clients were in this area. And like I said, I've never really advertised. It's all word of mouth. So it still seems to be that way because it's kind of like Pappas. And, you know, you get like I used to race on the track with the guys, right, or the drivers. But now you get to know their home life and their wives. And, you know, Amy used to be a decorator, right? So you kind of – it just kind of comes with it. And I just – I'm lucky to have a good – group of yeah. clients and most of them I've had for a long time so what's I'm next I think just still design and I um okay what I would normally be doing on a Monday because I like to just not do anything on Mondays if I don't have to uh I'm on the lawnmower or a tractor I love we only have like three and a half acres on this little out in Catawba but I love that I'd love to like I have five dogs uh I want some goats and some chickens <laughs> but my my man's kind of like, let's just slow down. Five dogs. We have five <laughs> dogs. And, but yeah, eventually I would want to make it like wildflower. I hope I can do that and slow down. But I mean, I still need to work because I still need to make money. But I'd hope to eventually I can just spend more time in the yard and with my kids to their things. And they're not kids anymore. So now it's like 24 and 25. Damn. I know. It's crazy. Time crazy. is gone. I know. It is so crazy. When I take him to the racetrack, you know, I'd be holding yeah. Sam and yeah. holding Tanner by the hand. And I remember Jeff would show us. I, that that blows my mind because I yeah. remember specifically your son. Didn't he play football? He did when up? he was younger. Yeah, he younger. Was a ga- he right. got into big-time gaming. Hmm. Well, yeah, but so I'm yeah. going back. This is yeah, how long ago football. this was. Like he, I remember seeing pictures of him as a, you know, as a football mm-hmm. player. It might have been – I mean, he may not have been 12 years old. Yeah, I don't even know. Yeah, probably like 9, 10, 11, nine, 12. Ten, right, about- right. And so he's 25 now. Holy yes. moly. Goodness. Yeah. Well, this has been a lot of fun. It has. Yeah. I've really enjoyed it. You brought out some stories I hadn't talked about you in wanna, a while. And do you want to throw a bird back to him right now? Like, just for... Uh, like, uh, send it back his way? 
Oh. You didn't know? Just be a double. Oh. oh. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. No. <laughs> hey, That's it funny. feels good these Just days. Doesn't get it off. Your- we had never talked about it. <laughs> no. Never talked no. about it. But it's, this is where you talk about these things. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. So I just want you to know that I want to thank you for coming and spending some time with us today. I've always been fascinated with your career and just always thought a lot about you. And, uh, you know, it was cool for me when you got to, when it was cool for me when we got to work together on the Western town and and do those type of things and what you did here at junior motorsports. And it was cool that that created a, a respect and friendship and, uh, beyond the racetrack. So, and to learn about your life, has been a lot of fun. Thank you. You know, the big rigs, and I kind of knew, I remember hearing about that when you first came into the Xfinity Series, but to be able to sit down with you and discuss it and learn more about it. Yeah, there's a lot to it that no, a lot of people don't, did not, doesn't understand. But knowing your family and knowing your mother and time that I got to spend working with her, I think went on a boat a couple times, and those things you don't. When you work, you just kind of like, I like to keep things professional, but you, you have fun, too, when you know people. And I'm just so glad to know Kelly and Brenda and your whole family. Well, they thought the, they think the world of you and Mom thought the world of yeah. you. And, but anyways, I'm, I'm glad that you, you agreed to come on the show so Absolutely. we could celebrate you a little bit. Yeah. I was thank excited. You. Thank you, Sean. You Shauna. are welcome. Shauna Robinson on the Dale Jr. Download. We are live. Hey everybody, it's Dale Jr. I was looking at an uh, an email I got. I got one of my eBay orders is delivered. Oh, um, so I got some uh, door panel screws for a Chevy truck GMC 1947 through 1950 something. I'm doing a little work on my 1948 uh, Chevy truck, and so uh, one of the door handles was sagging. Like so, you'd shut the door, and the door handle is you can one of those you turn like that yeah and it was sagging down so i took the whole thing apart because i want to fix that and make it and there's a spring broke in there and now i'm i'm like oh i'll replace this i'll replace this door panel i'll replace this all these screws i'll replace this and this this and i'm just trying to and i buy everything off ebay very very cheap i'm pretty cheap <laughs> but i'm having fun anyways all true cheap and you're having fun i cheap love fun. it that's yeah. a good combo so anyways um this is the ask junior portion of the show you guys are just now climbing into the YouTube channel at Dirty Mo Media. We appreciate all the support uh, for everything you guys uh, do for our social media and uh, everything you do for Dirty Mo Media, all the support of the podcast that we put out. So thanks for all that. And obviously, uh, thanks to Xfinity. They're the ones that promote or support this part of the podcast. The Ask Junior part is presented to you by Xfinity. They're a proud premier partner of NASCAR. Try saying that three times fast. And... Um, their Xfinity X5 is incredible. I'm a customer. Uh, I went and signed up, and I'm a paying customer uh, and before they even knew it, and I love it. So um, we appreciate everything they do for not only us, but the you know the sport. They're you know, a big sponsor in, in the Xfinity series, and uh, that's no small feat. It takes, a, it takes a lot of effort to make those things happen, and so uh, we appreciate everything they do. But you guys have been sending questions in to Xfinity Racing on Twitter. Leah has compiled her favorites, so if yours doesn't get picked out, it is Leah's you know, responsibility for that. So, um, <laughs> Or just do better. 
Exactly. You, better, you can, you can reach questions. out. You know, you can reach out through Twitter uh, oh, to Leah and tell her, "Hey, I've sent in five questions <laughs> in, in the last five weeks. Not one has been picked." I get that already. Well, <laughs> oh, don't wait, encourage now. So them. You guys now know that she sees your responses and she reads them and she chooses to either reply or not. Um, it's her prerogative whether she really wants to engage. <laughs> <laughs> what? What am I doing? Poor Leah. <laughs> it's Leah. true, though. I'm going to go delete my yeah. Twitter account. What? No, <laughs> I'm just saying. Those are all true things I just said. What? <laughs> hey, remember when we asked questions on this? I used to Should be where she <laughs> was. Oh, I yeah. used to be where she was, though. Should we do so that? I See, listen, now we, got, now we got a little personality. Should we, yes. Yes. Should we get to that we, part? We're just trying Should to we, drag it out of us. We're trying to get you going. What, get, oh, get to rise. I'm ready. <laughs> Let's go. All right. We're getting a ton of questions about the next-gen test you're doing tomorrow. Um, tell us how that came about and what your, what your thoughts on. Yeah. So um, I've been wanting to... Uh, yeah, I've been wanting to test the next-gen car whenever, if that's a possibility at some point. And uh, just kind of keeping my ear to the ground uh, about what's going on with the tests and who's testing. And, and maybe I could climb in this car or that car. But um, I got uh, NASCAR reached out and asked me if I'd be interested in driving the car at Bowman Gray. This is a test to try to prepare for that clash race they're having in uh, L.A. at the Coliseum. LA, yep. So. All right. They, I said, sure, I'll, I'll drive the car. Uh, they called me again a couple of weeks ago and said, all right, we've got Tony Stewart, you, and Clint Boyer. Tony Stewart's going to drive the car and do the tire test, all the functions that they need, probably a couple 40-lap runs for Goodyear. And when Tony's done, me and Clint will ch- jump in the car and drive it a few laps here and there. I'm just going to – I'm expecting to run anywhere from 5 to, to 20 laps max and probably no more than that. I'd really love to drive the car at Richmond or – a, a little bit larger racetrack to really get an understanding of what the car feels like and get a little more knowledge for me for when I go work the booth and things like that for next year. So hoping to get that opportunity and maybe this will create, you know, create some potential opportunities down the road for me to drive it. So anyway, I'm not expecting anything out of it. I'm just happy to go help out and, and, and maybe provide whatever feedback. I'm sure Tony's going to have all the feedback they're going to need. And uh, it'll be great to see Clint. It's always fun to hang out with him. I think the number one thing on my mind is I've never been to Bowman Gray. And uh, not only am I going to get to drive around the track, uh, I'm going to just see this historical racetrack. I got a lot of, you know, uh, respect for the place and the history and how long it's been around and have always wanted to go there. So this is going to be a great chance for me just to go check it out. Next question from Brandon Hall. I just watched a video of you and Hank Jones trading bumper paint in the Legends cars from when you were younger. That was awesome to see. <laughs> My question is, did you enjoy cutting your teeth in the Legends cars growing up? So I did enjoy driving the Legends cars. It was a little frustrating, though, and I'll give you a little backstory on my car. My car was the third Legends car ever built, and the first Legends cars had a 900 cc engines the first one and the second one had 900 cc motors mine got an 1100 i believe and then the fourth cars and everyone after that was two 200 four, 300 more cc's like more power and so uh the car i drove wasn't very good on the straightaway and uh and it and it was frustrating on the dirt tracks mostly because those guys would just go faster they were when we go to talladega short track and run they you know, were pretty much wide open right and they would just slowly drive away there's nothing i could do about my line or anything i could do in the corner to make up for the distance i was losing on on, on just pure speed so 
car was a little frustrating to drive, but I ran it for a year. Originally, my dad owned it, and then I think Hank bought it. And when I was racing Hank and ran into him and won that race that night, Hank was the owner of the car. And um, it was my first and only win in a Legends race. And uh, I was running street stocks at the same time at Concord Motor Speedway uh, with my brother Kerry. And so that night, we had a street stock race. And I ran that Legends race, walked over to the, you know, drove the car over to the hauler uh gooseneck trailer where hank and everybody else is at hank is mad won't hardly talk to me because he's trying to win his first legends race and he was sitting there leading that whole race and uh i said you know what i'll let you have the trophy i said i'm gonna or, or it was the cash one That's or the other said, yeah i think i gave him the cash and kept the trophy and um so and then we left me and my friend walter who was with me uh rick boss uh, nephew we left and went to Concord to run a street stock car. And um, those were some fun times, man. 16 years old and uh, driving my little S10 truck around everywhere. But uh, the Legends cars were, um, I think the Legends cars are a great way. They're expensive. I'm not going <laughs> to sugarcoat that. They are not cheap. But uh, they're a great way for a driver to understand power over weight. Because they don't weigh much, but they got a ton of power, and they drive. They have these little street tires. I mean, there's things that you can do, obviously, to the brakes and the tires, and to 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 manipulate grip into the way the car drives and handles. Um, I don't know exactly how tight the rules are these days, but it's still hard to get that power down to the racetrack, and they are a handful. And I think that's great for a driver as far as trying to learn how to how how to get you know get around the racetrack fast without driving like an idiot. You know, just too you know using way too much power and and over braking and overdriving corners. You're not going to be successful in a Legends car unless you're just right. And I like that about it. And uh, it teaches these young guys who get into the Legends cars, re- uh, racing craft and driving and trying to stay out of trouble. They don't have fenders and they run into each other and brake suspension. And uh, it's a it's a great way to uh, you know if if you can afford it, it's a great way to you know teach your teach your teach these young kids how to drive next question from justin bates what's it really like when you have to go to the nascar hauler after a race we've heard for years it isn't fun yeah but can you go into a little detail what it's truly like me and uh, latart uh, dale jarrett and all of us were having this conversation on the way home from kansas last night most conversations or all the stories that i've heard and my own experience uh it goes like this they call you to the hauler you go up in there, and Mike Helton walks in. You start to open your mouth and plead your case, and he says immediately, "I'm doing. I'm going to do all the talking, and you can keep your mouth shut." <laughs> and uh, and he's and when he's doing the talking, uh, it's intimidating as hell. It's like he's like the Dale Earnhardt of NASCAR officials. Um, so it's, it's kind of scary and, and, uh, you, all you want is to get out of there. And so mid asked you and you're like, I just can't wait till this is over. Does he raise his voice? Of course, Mike. So I, it's not a dumb question. Cause like he always seems kind of calm and cool. No. Nobody knows what the intimidating thing is. I think that, does he like yell? Does yes. he throw things? Does he yes. cuss you out? Yeah. All those things? Yes. Wow. 
Yeah. Yeah, that is. Okay, it's intimidating. <laughs> there was one conversation that uh, Dale Jarrett was telling me about how in, you know, Jarrett said something that he shouldn't have said and, and Helton uh, slammed one of the cabinet shut and the door just flew off the hinges. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. Now we're talking. <laughs> this yeah. is the stuff we'd never had any idea was happening. Yeah. So I'll, I'll <laughs> promise you, I, w- I wouldn't know what it would be like today because Mike's not in that position anymore. There are other people that are that are tasked to handle those you know silly problems that we bring into the, the garage. But when Mike was there, uh, it, you did not want to get called to the trailer. You were terrified of it, and you knew what was coming. You knew you weren't going to go in there and convince them otherwise. And uh, their attitude, which I always felt was a good one, is this NASCAR was here long before you were, and it'll be here long after you're gone. And you can fall in line and do what what we expect of you, or you won't be around long. And uh, and they made that clear, man, even to me. So – it was it was scary, so, and it was Helton that was the main ingredient that made it that way. I've been in other haulers, Xfinity haulers, and so forth, where he wasn't part of that experience, and it was a little different. It was a little less scary, but uh, Helton really ran the show. Next question from Michael: Everyone talks about your father's most famous wins, but what's a race win from your dad that you think goes under the radar? Man. That's so uh, That's under the radar Earnhardt win. Um, yeah, I guess the uh, I guess the best way to to look at this would be what seasons are kind of under the radar. So, 1984, first year kind of back with Rich, Richard Childers, they had some wins, and I don't think people knew what was coming. I don't think people knew what that team would develop in uh, into in 1986, 87, and beyond. So they're winning a couple races in that in 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 1984, and I think the people were overlooking them. And uh, his, his wins with with Bud Moore were probably, you know, he had struggled in '81, and he went to you know he 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 quit the team he was with and went to RCR in the middle of '81, and then then he was a backside of the top ten guy driving Richard's cars the remainder of 1981. I think people had not written dad off, but I think, you know, he came in, run, wins the rookie of the year, wins the championship in 1980. And in his mind, he's he's here. He's arrived. He's there. You know, he's he's the man. He's going to be one of the men between, you know, he's right in the mix of Richard Petty, Darrell Walter, David Pearson, Neil Bond, and all those guys. And then he goes in 81 and has, a, has such a difficult year, and he's driving, you know, equipment that's not top, you know, top five equipment. And I think – Richard Petty, Dare Walter, and all those guys that were a little concerned with him at first weren't worried about him anymore. And then uh, he goes to Bud Moore's cars, which they won races, but they blew a lot of, blew a lot of motors. Uh, Bud's cars were, were, were good, not perfect. You know, they weren't Junior Johnson's cars. And, uh, and, and so they, they didn't intimidate anyone. They, you know, those cars, they car, the cars were good, but they didn't concern most of the field. So I think 83 and... 84, those two years, uh, there were some wins in there that I think are kind of overlooked in his in his career. All right, next question from Brian Wiltshire. Can you give us some of your favorite Halloween memories, both childhood and grown up? Well, I just wanted to be a football player every year when I was little, so I got a couple pictures of me 
at six, seven, eight years old, just wearing the same thing. Like I'd had the, I had this football uniform. Uh, it was a white helmet, white pants, red jersey, no number, <laughs> just the generic football player. And I wore it like three years in a row. I was like, uh, I don't want to be nothing else. I got it. It's up in my closet. Football player. I'm going to be wearing this in the pros, so I might as well get yeah. used to it. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, I love being a football player. You know, walking around with shoulder pads. Heck, I mean, you, you know, it's a great excuse to walk in shoulder pads. Um, <laughs> you know, when I got older, I think my memories, we always felt like we needed, this will be a great story, we always felt like we needed to be destructive on Halloween. When I, when I turned 16, 17, 18, 19, I lived across the street from DEI in a trailer with my brother Kerry. He moved out. When he moved out, I got, you know, my buddies would come around and we'd, we'd hang out. And on Halloween one night, I lived right across the street from DEI. Dad had 300 acres of property. And never on any other night during the year would I ever even think of doing this out of fear and, and how dangerous it is. But on Halloween night, we got a bunch of eggs and we jumped the fence to get into Dad's property. We walked all the way across 300 acres in the dark to the other side of the fence, and there was a roadway, jumped that fence, and hid behind tr- uh, bushes and threw exit cars. Good Lord. Yeah, what? Y'all are suicidal. Well, I've had eggs thrown at me. No, no I, I'm not talking oh. about the eggs. I'm talking about the hop into the fence. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> what? I know well, what I happens to people when they get on that property. House, I would have I, I, so we were in, we were into that. We were into egg, egg and cars and playing mailbox baseball and doing all Oof. kinds of crazy stuff. So I was driving down the road one day in the middle of the night and an egg hit my truck and I just had to smile. It's <laughs> a good shot. Um, I really I appreciate so You had it coming. I was like, man, I deserve that. <clears throat> yeah. Um, but we we did it basically. The throwing the eggs at cars was fun for sure because you know you hit one and you got to go. You know you run or you hide in the bushes or whatever, and you're scared that they're going to come back. <laughs> you know and find your one. You know what's going on. And then we had to get back across the property in the middle of the night. And you don't know, you know what dad's got out there to detect. You know what's happening on his property. And I'm telling you, if you climb the fence to get in. And he would in two days he'd be going around asking who's climbed my fence. Yeah, he noticed something. It's, it's, it's wire right here. Yeah, somebody, <laughs> somebody had their shoe in there. Is that where you get it from? No, dude, I've, I've heard that. That's yeah. amazing too. Dude, he would know even if it was in the middle of the woods in the corner somewhere where <laughs> nobody would go. He'd be like, like, "How do you know? How did you find That's that?" Crazy. Um, so I was nervous <laughs> after the fact, and uh, we only did that one time. But man, I. I have the, what an adrenaline rush, man. I don't promote it, and I'd be mad if my kids did it, but it was a, it was a rush. Uh, Imagine egg, Isla egg and cars doing and, that. Oh, I'd be so mad at her. <laughs> <sighs> and then we, were, we played mailbox baseball a lot, not on just Halloween, but, um, and a buddy of mine cut his hand. The, we were using a wooden bat, and it sh- it sh- the bat uh, split. And half of it <laughs> went into his hand, and that was in the mailbox baseball. We'd been doing that for several years. I had a, you know, the red plastic mailbox uh, barn shaped mailboxes. Oh yeah, I did. I had the sliding glass door open on my Louis S10. I was probably about sixteen, and a buddy of mine hit one of those, and part of that plastic came in, and gave me a welt on the neck. I was like, man, I deserve that. You deserve a lot more than that. 
What? Mailbox fetish. That, that's just messed that's up. Just, if somebody did that to your uh, mailbox today. They, uh, I've had people hit my mailbox. Really? Yeah. Isn't that a federal crime? Yeah. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Oh, my Dude. God. That says it Is all. this past the statute of limitations? <laughs> I hope. <laughs> <All right. laughs> you know how we surprised you with your birthday a couple weeks ago? Well, today it's police officers <laughs> here to arrest you. <laughs> well, yeah. I'll buy some mailboxes. We, did, we weren't that good at it. I'll just say that. There were some strikes. Yes. One time. <laughs> he missed. You know, Hank, yeah, one time me and Hank Parker Jr., uh, he missed the box and hit the, hit the, hit the bed of my S10 pickup truck oh. at, the, at the end of the baseball bat. Gave it a nice little dent. I mean, you know, you're going to play stupid games. Stupid things are going to happen. <laughs> All right, I think that's it for today. Oh, no. You're gonna end on the criminal? I mean, <laughs> you know, and on a high note, the criminal history of yeah. Bell. That's what we we're can, gonna end up. I don't think we can. Uh, I don't think we can top that. Here, I got something we can end on. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, so we, we've sent. We've, we've sent another surprise. We have something. That, uh, uh, do we want to say who sent this? A, 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 a fan from up there sent this. Ooh. Okay, for our studio. You'll recognize it. <laughs> what the <laughs> <laughs> cross track access permitted to this individual problem? This is from Pocono. This, this is the Pocono sign. This is the sign that Pocono put up after your whole deal. Oh my god! <laughs> um, I love it. Yeah, so that's a good studio. It's a really studio good quality. Gifts. Yeah, <laughs> you look good in that picture, uh, Dale. A, the picture is high def. <laughs> yeah. No, no pixelated JPEGs no, here, man. You would think it'd be like, just just thrown together, but man, they really scanned a nice. <laughs> little photo there yep i love it so uh yeah it, i guess the backstory is i had a little run in with a gate guard <laughs> and uh he wanted me to show my hard card and it was buried in the bottom of my backpack but he was like he knew who i was and i was like well you know who i am do i really gotta dig for this card but uh so we had a conversation about it yeah <laughs> all right very cool can we, I, do, can we do one more thing I, everybody yeah. wants to see more of your shirt oh, oh that's a i do topic on there we go. Matthew, you can explain what this yes, is. Yes, I'll get Dale right now is showing off his beautiful vintage Cherokee Speedway shirt. Cherokee Speedway in Gaffney, South Carolina, right near the Giant Peach Dirt Late model uh, track. Very well known in the area, and it's badass vintage. There you go. To Dale yeah. Jr. I think Matthew got me this shirt. Nope. No, you didn't. Okay. No. I got it some other way. I can't take credit for something that All good. All right. Well, I, I love it. Yeah. Um, I was wearing it early this morning and ran into a guy. He's like, I live right next to that place, man. I've never seen more fighting in my life. <laughs> and they let you drink beer. He's like, I've seen guys walk with driver suits tied around their waist walk up to the concession stand and get a <laughs> cup of uh, Dixie cup, or, yeah, or solo cup of beer and walk away. Mike, this place has a sign above the gate. Like Dale's been there before, it has a sign above the gate that says, The place your mama warned you about. Hmm. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's cool. Go check it out. Cherokee Speedway. Hey, anyways, uh, this. <laughs> oh, yeah, this is live. <laughs> this was live. Um, <laughs> this was one for the books. Poor Leah. Man, we really came out of, we came out of the shell today. Leah, great job, Leah. Good job, hey, Leah. Thank you. I'm Appreciate glad we it. could finally get Leah to snap into it. That's a segment we'll do. And it could be presented by Xfinity, a proud partner of NASCAR, where Leah, we just try to piss her off every week. Like, just see what we can do to get under her skin. I think next week we should just read her Twitter comments. Oh, gosh. Oh, no. Oh, no, not. No, don't bring about, that up yeah. right now. About, yeah. Uh, no. She says she gets some feedback. A little bit. Last week was bad, but that was Matthew's fault. Matthew. What'd you do? I sent you an apology. Oh, my goodness. Oh, the F-bomb yeah, and all that. I'm so sorry. All um, your listeners, that's I'm unfortunate, so sorry. Yeah, my 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 wife liked it. That, Thank if God. That's any 
if that's any uh, what is the word? If it's any solace, yeah, solace. I'm just glad I wasn't fired. And if it's any solace, a lot of other people did too. <laughs> <laughs> Amy, Amy wasn't the only one. Unfortunately, we can't leave those right. Those, a lot uh, of kids love it. In they there. learned a lot that day. Well, I don't know what they're doing on Twitter. <laughs> Thanks to Xfinity for supporting uh, the Ask Junior part of our show, and they've done a lot for us over the years, and continue to do a lot for this podcast. So uh, we got to thank them. And uh, lastly, we got to thank all of you guys. Uh, for tuning in and doing everything you can to try to raise awareness for our show and sharing it with your friends and telling people you know how much fun this is so uh always love doing this part of the show because i know even though you're not in the room i am interacting with a lot of real people out there that really care about what we're doing and uh that's the funnest that's the funnest part is it is that a word it sounds good yeah fun. it's the sure best right. part yeah, yeah. It's, it's my word so um it's the best part of the uh it's the best part of the show so uh thank you guys and uh, we'll see you next week Last call. Okay, Mike, it's last call. Hey, last call, everybody. I appreciate you guys listening to this episode. A lot of fun today. Um, but I want to tell you a quick update. We got we got podcasts here at Dirty Mo Media. Lots of podcasts. Door Bumper Clear is one of them. A couple of, I'd say more than a couple. A bunch of loud mouth spotters. They, they run <laughs> their mouth a good bit. But uh, they're fun to listen to. I like to listen to them. I always this is where I find out a lot of my insider stuff. Here's what they said this week. Hey, Dell Jr. Download fans. TJ Majors here. Come listen to our podcast, Door Bumper Clear, this week. This is Freddie Kraft. I finally decided to show up for work today, and we'll have a lot to talk about after Kansas. We'll cover Ryan Blaney getting wiped out, a tight playoff cutoff line, heading to Martinsville, NASCAR and F1 going head-to-head, cup race attendance, and a lot more. Hey, what's up? Brett Griffin here. You can listen to Door Bumper Clear this week and every week on DirtyMoMedia.com and all major podcast platforms. We've got another show called Glorious White Knuckle Godfearing Spun Out and Half Turned Over Racing Stories. <laughs> Leah, I'm thinking about maybe uh, a social media campaign to see who out there can send us videos that can say that without uh, mm-hmm. mistakes, right? Like, 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 who can best deliver that? I know I screw it up, so yeah. and I came up with the idea, so... If it's hard for me, then it's probably hard for everybody else. But it's called Glorious White Knuckle Godfear and Spun Out and Half Turned Over Racing Stories. A nostalgic journey filled with sound design. Bring back some of the most interesting stories in our sports history. Rick Houston does a fantastic job. Love what he's doing there. We've got another podcast coming out. I had planned on giving a little teaser today. Oh, Planned on it, but Can't wait. not quite ready. Not quite ready. Going to do it soon, though. May this week. Probably this week. Leah, I still think you're going to run lead on it. Suspense. Yeah. Um, I'm going to tell you something right here. Listen to this, and I'm not kidding. I am most proud of the the podcast that we're going to come out with, of anything else we've done at Dirty Mo Media, including Lost Speedways. And I'm quite proud of what we do at Lost Speedways. Um, But this one is, this one's kind of taking a big swing, right? You know? Huge, Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's a huge swing. Yeah. Um, I would say it would be our first podcast where we allow profanity but last week matthew went ahead and got in front of that by allowing dale jr download to be profane all throughout womp, thank womp, you for womp, yeah just completely I mean, no like, thank you for sticking up for me yeah, we, we stuck up a, a little social media it's lashing it's okay i'm just playing you know this show's on tv y'all know that right uh you, you wear big 10 for nbc sports network Love that television show that we do here. It's a condensed version, but it's a great version. A lot of good stuff that the NBC Sports producers put into that. It's going to be at Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. So Thursday, 6 p.m. Eastern Time, the Dell Jr. Download on NBC Sports. And 
I want to close up with this. We've got some new merchandise in the store. Kelly Earnhardt has a new shirt that she's added to the Dirty Mo original line. Dang. And I'm going to tell you something. A lot of people buying it right now. Also, I haven't seen it. Yeah, you haven't seen it? No. Oh, it's it's good. It's good. And so it's it's kind of a I, I think it's a replica of something she had back when she raced. Correct. Like her late right? model? Yeah. Yeah. Sweet. So did she race anything else? Uh, street stock. Did she run a street yep. stock? She ran know. that 03 street stock that Dale and Carrie ran to. This would be the late model. Nice. Um, so we also have new hats. We have new stuff in the store. It's also, you can find it at DirtyMoMedia.com. If you click on the store and the merchandise tab, you'll find all of our new stuff right there. And it's almost Christmas time. And there's some birthdays coming up. Are y'all aware of that? Yes. You know, like birthday. There's still birthdays that come Who's? up. Mine. When's and yours? And TJ's. Who cares about TJ? What's, when's yours? Same day, bud. You, you and TJ were born on the same day? That sucks for you. And Danny Sr. Not on the same day, just the same birthday. Oh, yeah. You're not birthday. that old. Yeah. Uh, what is it? November? <laughs> you work on that. Listen, I said, I, I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> no, tell the fans. No, no. Tell no, the fans no. so oh, they can yeah, do the they, they happy know. birthday. Mike they Davis probably sucks. Know. <laughs> can we talk about how you're a sports icon now? Oh, oh are you a sports icon? Stop. All right. Yeah, you know what? The, the, oh, no, 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 no. We got to hear about this. No, everybody knows about it. Everybody I don't know about it. Everybody knows about it. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I'm the producer of the show. I don't know about it. No, don't everybody know knows know over the weekend. Everybody knows about it. Dirty Leah, go ahead. Tweeted. You get the stage. No, I got, first of all, my Saturday morning, my power goes out, and the next thing that happens is I get a tweet notification from Twitter giving me an update from sports icon Mike Davis. Whoa. Listen, so, you, you should clarify. what, Like, Twitter does these recommendations it's new, yeah, or something? Yeah, it's a news update. It's a news update. Yeah. And it called me a sports icon, which my reply to that was, if Twitter is being consistent with its own policies, it would ban itself for being false and misleading and potentially insulting information, which I know actual sports icons would be absolutely offended by that. So, let's see if at Twitter bans oh at God, Twitter. that's awesome. Because that I is... Didn't know- I was in the presence of an icon. That is not two true. icons. It's now. not even Jesus. close to true, and we'll see what Twitter does. Wow. And there you go. Somebody was cl- clearly drunk on Saturday. <laughs> right. Saturday morning. Somebody at Twitter. But you mean someone other than me? Yes. Were you I, drunk? You were. Saturday night I was. Oh. I've never seen you drunk. Well, Alabama beat Tennessee. Oh, you're celebrating. Yeah. And you get drunk if Tennessee beat Alabama. Uh, yeah, different kind of drunk. Uh, Fifteen <laughs> years in a row, fifteen game win streak for Alabama over Tennessee. I hate Tennessee. See, see, I like Tennessee. Why? I like the orange. My cousin played in the band there. Oh, oh really? Mm-hmm. Clarinet. No, oh. I got. I, I love the state of Tennessee, but I am not a, a fan of uh, the University of Tennessee. But anyways, that's it. All right, Dale, close her down for us. All right, everybody, have a great week. Hope you enjoyed the show. We'll see you soon. Check out Dirty Mo Media on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Dirty Mo. Dirty Mo.